Temperature like you like it first, and then, right. you, then you just sear it, and you don't have to worry about yeah. how, how how done it is because you know how done it's going to be. No, it was perfect. Then uh, ribeyes are great. You cook them just right, and you can eat the whole thing. Sometimes when you when you get it perfect, mm-hmm. you know if you, if you don't get it perfect, then you're then you got a couple hunky parts that are kind of weird if to you eat. eat it per, you can just eat the bone too. No, I'm kidding. I'll do that. <laughs> Why not? I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm building up. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who do this stuff with raw meat. You know that? Are you hearing about Yeah, no, that? I know. Yeah, there's, yeah. I was actually listening to a podcast and the, and a guy, you know, talked about how he went from uh, being a vegetarian to being full on vegan right. to, um, and this happens a lot, uh, going the complete opposite direction and only eating meat. And then going all the way into raw meat, yeah. only eating things raw. Yeah. What's the what's the basis behind raw? Uh, yeah, there's people that think it's more nutritious, mm. you know. And, oh, because you're like and, cooking away some of the vitamins that's what or they something. Think. Like that. I, don't, I don't know that there's any concrete evidence that shows that. There's people that do it, and they swear about. I'm not really interested in that right now. I don't want to. Chew, I mean, it steak tastes too good cooked. I mean, we, yeah. So the evidence we've been cooking goes back at least a half million years, and some people argue back to one and a half million years. So somewhere mm. in that time frame, we learned how to cook. We don't know exactly when we controlled fire, but it's been at least a half million years. Yeah. So people have been cooking for a long Seems time. Seems a long ass time ago. Well, you know, if you think about, you know, you you know, you and I's lifetime, you know, right. 70, 80 years is nothing when you look at the frame of half a million years or a million years. And so there's a lot of stuff that's going what, on. What's right? going on with this diet? We got to get to the bottom of this because let's just start out with the, most obvious thing that people get the most pissed about right away. And I, I made a comment on your live feed yesterday. Uh, it seems to be women in general are kind of up in arms as soon as, and it's uh, every guy mentions it to his girlfriend or to his wife. He'll go home and say, Hey man, I want to try this diet. This Dr. Baker's doing this carnivore diet. Mark and Chris Bell are jumping on board doing a carnivore diet. And uh, you know, the su- first question out of the woman's mouth is like well what about vegetables and then uh you know the women for some reason they seem to be very attached to these vegetables and uh a lot of the stuff that i'm hearing from you is maybe vegetables aren't nearly as good as we thought yeah i mean there's a you know there's a there's sort of a uh, sort of reverence for vegetables that goes back a few maybe 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 a hundred no more than about a hundred years you know if you look back uh, historically, in a lot of places, you know, vegetables just weren't even available for most people. You know, mm. most societies. In fact, if you go back a few hundred years, if you were a member of a wealthy family and you had a dinner party and you served vegetables, it was also considered an insult to people. Yes, <laughs> seriously. What the f is this? Yeah, they're like, what are, you, what are you serving me a radish for? I want a piece of steak. But yeah, no. But it goes back. But then we had this sort of, uh, sort of, kind of change in our thought process and then we started looking at some epidemiology and looked at the people and we just started looking at epidemiology and the problem with epidemiology you know you study these these big populations and there's so many variables that go into that mm. so the people that uh, are told you know eat your fruits and vegetables because they're good for you well those are those are the good listeners those are the good those are the straight a students who do everything right right, right. and then the meatheads are the, the d students that are back there you know sticking <laughs> their fingers in the electric sockets and all the stupid stuff that we do right right but so the, 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 the straight A students, they go to the doctor, they wear their seatbelt, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't drink caffeine, you know, they exercise regularly and lo and behold, they, they have a better health outcome, right. which is really all it is. And so we've got this epidemiology that says, eat your fruits and vegetables, don't eat a lot of saturated fat and you're going to be healthy. And that's what epidemiology shows you. But what it doesn't show you is all those other things that are, that are making an impact. You know, if we look at longevity. The biggest predictor for longevity is socioeconomic status. Mm. I don't care what you eat. If you're living on the slums of Sudan, right. you're going to live, live longer if you live in Switzerland. 
I mean, it just doesn't matter what your diet is. And so right. diet has such a little impact on it. And then the people That's actually are, really interesting. I, I have not really heard that before. Um, because the question that pops up all the time now is, uh, so a keto diet is like one thing uh, that could, uh, for some people, they start immediately thinking about their, uh, their uh, wallet. You know, they start thinking about their wallet when they think about a keto diet. They're thinking, man, I'm going to really spend a lot of money. Well, now when we start talking about a carnivorous diet, a diet where you're predominantly eating mostly steak, uh, I guess you can have some uh, hamburger and other forms of red meat and stuff like that too. Uh, but then people start to really think about spending a lot of money. But one thing that's lost in all this is that uh, if you're utilizing any of this stuff as a, as a means to a diet, I will assure you that you are going to eventually, probably, if the goal is to lose weight, you will eventually start eating less. And I would bet in most cases, you'll probably be spending less money because you're not buying cereal. You're not buying milk. I mean, a lot of these things are expensive. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, because I, you know, I, I didn't, it's not like I started out being a, doing a carnivorous diet, never tried anything else. And so I went through this all. You, you didn't know, come out of the womb eating no, red meat no, right I away. Mean, you know, but I mean, you know, <laughs> people ask me how long I've been a carnivore. I said, well. My, basically since I was born, but I started eating that way when I was 50. But, right. um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they get hung up on this whole food, stuff like that. And what happens? You buy all these organic fruits and vegetables and where do half of them end up in the trash can? Because, mm. you know, so you, you waste all that money. Lots of supplementation is required to make your diet complete. So we have all this extra expense that's kind of taken out of the way when you're just eating what I consider really nutritious food. But I mean, the other thing about the fruits and vegetable comment I just want to say is, you know, the actual evidence that's out there discussing why fruits and vegetables are good for us, you know, they have a lot of isolated compounds. Today. So they'll take a plant compound, you know, sulforaphane is one that gets a lot of headlines because it's in broccoli. And they'll say that if we give sulforaphane to these cells, mm. it inhibits cancer growth, cancer growth. So it's like, well, that's cool. You know, but, you know, what if I give gasoline to these cells? Does that inhibit <laughs> cancer growth too? Well, yeah, that's true too. But we don't think gasoline is good for you because you don't eat it. But most of those studies are done that way. So they don't look at the whole effect on the entire body and they don't actually consider what else is in the plant because there's things like oxalates and uh, phytates and salicylates and, you know, tannins and polyphenols and some of the things are good. Some are good, some are bad. Yeah. We don't know the whole detail of that. But there's only been a few studies where they've actually taken human beings and they've given them more fruits and vegetables and in comparison to people that didn't get more fruits and vegetables. And the results for that, for those studies, are very, very mixed. Mm. There's several that were that the outcomes were negative, like the the markers of inflammation got worse. Uh, there are there are studies that show um, that some people got a little better, but the the surprising thing with that was that fruit tended to be more helpful than vegetables wow. uh, in those types of studies. Right, right. And, there's, and there's very few studies, so the, the evidence that people say fruits and vegetables are based on is really kind of really kind of limited. Well, a lot of the stuff you're saying it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we hear that fructose is bad. Right. And that's, that'd be like an isolated incident of, uh, yeah, when you take in a lot of high fructose corn syrup, well, then maybe fructose is bad. If your child is consuming 100 grams of high fructose corn syrup a day and they're not moving at all, then yeah, it probably is bad. But what about, you know, for the guy that exercises that has uh, an apple or an orange after he works out? I mean, it's probably not probably not as uh detrimental yeah i mean there's a there's a there's a dose response and there's a there's a, a physical capacity to handle that stuff and, you know big guy with a big bunch of muscle has more capacity to dispose of that that stuff and so right. you know from an evolutionary standpoint you know 
fruit is what plants want us to eat. They don't really like us eating their their leaves and their stems, mm. and that's why that's why vegetables taste bitter because it's like it's kind of a warning sign. It's like, hey man, don't eat me. It's that's your defense sick. mechanism. And in you, some you, way. Know, you and I cannot go outside and munch on the tree leaves because we'll get really sick because <laughs> they're real bitter, and that's how. Like that would be kind of weird. Yeah, well, I mean, we could try it. We could, you know, we, we could do an experiment where we have maybe some vegan guys come here and we'll just eat tree leaves and see how <laughs> right. we do versus eating meat. But no, I mean, it's it's uh, the, uh, you know, the the plants, you know, they, they kind of want us to eat their fruit because it helps us disperse some of their seeds. And that's why that's why it's sweet. And that's why we have a receptor for sweetness because we know sweet's not going to typically kill us. Mm. The problem today is we've bred all that fruit into these sugar bombs, you know, these giant yeah. you know, strawberries are the size of apples now, <laughs> and they've got probably 80% more sugar than they used to. And so in days gone by, you know, let's say we go back, you know, a couple thousand years. Yeah, even 10, the oranges years, are enormous. Yeah, they're, 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 we just bred them to be really sugary. And so we've kind of over, we're kind of overdosing on that fructose and, right. and rather than getting it in, in the smaller amounts that we might have had, you know, thousands of years ago. So it's a kind of, a, it's kind of a difference in the food. I think women are kind of pigeonholed into, uh, you know, eating salad just because, uh, you know, women are trying to be skinnier and just the way society has kind of stuck them into that. <laughs> yeah, we talked you know? about that. Yeah, I think women particularly, you know, in, at least in Western society, they're, they're sort of the, the female ideal for many people is a, is a waif thin model type. Yeah, where, size two. Yeah, where, yeah. They're, where they're just not eating it. They're undernourished in a lot of cases. And so... You know, as, as you and I will both agree, muscle is healthy. You need you need you need nutrition to get healthy. And so, so many of these women are told, you know, you got to eat a salad. And oh, by the way, put the dressing on the side. And if you're going to have any meat, make it a little skinny piece of chicken breast. And right. that's a woman's typical diet. And then what they happen is, you know, through through peer pressure from other women, they kind of they want to emulate these people. So they so then they pretend. I think. They pretend they really like that stuff. And I think that the, the thing about women, women are also capable of faking orgasms. So they can fake it. <laughs> no, they can fake it. They like wait, salad too. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm told. I've never experienced that, but I'm, I'm told that that, that You that know, another there. point of interest that I think will interest our audience in those fruit and vegetable uh, studies is that one study that I saw uh, – uh, on a, a fruit and vegetable diet, a high, high fruit and vegetable diet, uh, the one of the uh, responses they had was the largest bowel movement of any study they've ever done before <laughs> in history. I was like, oh my god, the hell happened with these people? So how do we how do we get ourselves to shit if we're just eating meat all the time? Yeah, so I mean, you know, you well, you look at any other animal; it's a carnivorous animal. They go to the bathroom too. I mean, they take a shit, you know, just like any other animal, you know. And so they have different not, stomachs than us, or not really? Not so. Much much you know they both they have a monogastric stomach you know they have one chambered stomach whereas a lot of plant eating animals herbivores have uh multi-room stomachs like like a cow or mm. a sheep or one of those animals and so our system is set up to where you know the humans are really 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 effective at digesting meat you know we have this really long small intestine so when you look at patients that have had their colon removed because humans are one of the few animals that can live without a colon because we don't really need it to live and that's the thing. What happens in our colon when we're on a plant-based diet? The colon ferments fiber to give mm. us a little bit of fat. That's what happens. So even these guys are eating a lot of plants. They're really on a high-fat diet, just oh, like a chimpanzee you. or a gorilla right. or a cow because they convert all that fiber to fat. But humans can live without our colon. And so when you study those people and you give them meat and you see what comes out of their small intestine through what's called an ileostomy pouch, 
you see that just a little bit of liquid comes out. So mm. all that meat is well absorbed. Like less, when's the last time you looked down in the toilet and saw a chunk of steak floating around in the toilet? It just doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. But I'd, you'll see corn. I'd call you if I did. Yeah, well, you should. But I'm like, what the fuck else. happened to me? Yeah, but I mean- I'd send you a picture for sure. <laughs> I'd <laughs> say, like, what's you know, happening to me? It's kind of interesting how many people are infatuated with my bowel habits. I'm almost tempted on Instagram. I'm tempted one day, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I'll probably lose a lot of followers if I do that. But I mean, it's, you know, it's the, the biggest Your thing. Your IG about. could be steak and poop. Yeah, that's right. Just, steak and poop. Ooh, just consistently back and forth. Why do some people uh, struggle with going to the bathroom when they switch over to the diet? Yeah, so again, like I said, you don't make much waste. And so what happens gotcha. is instead of having this big fiber-filled colon, you lose that. And so what happens is you're only making a tiny amount of waste. And so it may take you several days, even a week or more to start even have enough material to get rid of. And then after you do it for a while, uh, you know, you find you, you kind of get more regular, you know, particularly as your appetite picks up. And so, because what's, what's, what's in poop, you know, normally is a bunch of bacteria. So you're still pooping out the bacteria, mm. you know, a little bit of the food residue and then mostly fiber. But if you take out the fiber, you lose that. So what happens is instead of these big giant bowl filling poops, you know, you, you get these <laughs> so satisfying. You, 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 well, you know, maybe if you like getting stretched out that way, but, <laughs> but you have these small little snaky things that come out and, you know, it's, it's just a little small bit of poop and, and, and you're fine, but, but it's regular. Right. It's, uh, you know, there, there's a, a lot of evidence to show that actually that's probably more beneficial than these big giant ones, because there's been some studies looking at people that have diverticulosis, which is like when the colon has little balloons that pop out of it and those things get infected mm. called diverticulitis. And there's been some studies looking at people that were on high fiber diets and they were more prone to get that. Whereas they're on a low fiber diet, they didn't have that issue. So some of the benefits of, of like fruits and vegetables, some of the benefits of say like fiber um, let's just say fiber, for example. And my understanding is that fiber can uh, rid your body. Uh, it can elim help eliminate uh, maybe some toxins from your body. Uh, but maybe maybe part of what you're saying and part of uh, being on this carnivorous diet is that uh, maybe you're healthier and maybe you just don't need that. Yeah, I mean, it's, the, the benefits of cut fiber are really context dependent. You know, there's a lot of people promoting that because there's a lot of people that like to sell you fiber, you know, like a cereal manufacturer. Mm -hmm. You know, believe it or not, they actually put sawdust in our food. They actually it's take crazy. sawdust, they call it cellulose, and they take actual sawdust and mix it into some of these processed foods, but because it's real cheap and they can make a lot of money on that. But fiber, <laughs> That's the, fucking the crazy. benefits of, yeah, you look it up, it's crazy. The benefits of fiber our Man, that sawdust is good. <laughs> yeah, it's good sawdust. You know, it's, it's, but you make it chew. We go chew on it. In addition to the leaves, we can chew on the tree bark too and see how that goes. But uh, fiber is context dependent. And so if you eat a high fiber diet and a high sugar diet, the fiber may help a little bit with that. You know, some of the thoughts are that it can help decrease your glucose spike. So if you're not taking in a bunch of sugar, you know, is it really a benefit? Right. The other thought is it can help lower cholesterol. I think there's a lot of evidence now that shows that maybe lowering cholesterol is not always the best thing to do. I think there's right. a lot of people, uh, myself included, that are seeing that, you know, the reasons uh, for things like cardiovascular disease is not solely based on cholesterol, but cholesterol in context of things like inflammation, things like insulin sensitivity. Mm. And so those things drive cardiovascular disease and, and, and kind of those are the bus drivers cholesterol is just a passenger in right. that situation and so we're seeing that you know as we we learn more about it it's not so simple so lowering our cholesterol in a lot of cases you know it's shown that if you have a low cholesterol you're not likely to live as long you're mm -hmm. more likely to get cancer you're more likely to get dementia and so those things just maybe you know because our brain our brain uses 25 percent of the cholesterol in our body mm, so wow. if you're lowering your cholesterol with drugs or with diet 
you know, maybe you're taking some of that out of your brain. And then and there's there's some right. studies out there that potentially support that. So that's kind of interesting. Maybe some people that are uh, not on a carnivore diet, maybe people that are eating in a different way, uh, Is do you think there's uh, some value to a fiber supplement? Like maybe it's helping, uh, you know, rid them of some... Uh, you know, crap that they, maybe they shouldn't be eating in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in the context, if you're eating a junk food diet, fiber's better than sh than than you know drinking cokes and uh, you know eating potato chips. You know, I think there's a benefit there, and I think it may, like I said, mitigate or lower that glucose spike. But I think you know a lot of people find that you know if they go too high in the fiber, it really affects their 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 digestive system really poorly. Mm. You know, if you eat a, a bunch of fiber supplements, a really really high fiber diet, many people complain of bloating, gas, you know, pain, you know, things like that. And so that's, I think there's a small amount that may be beneficial in the context of a otherwise not so good diet. Somebody comes to you and they say, look, man, I, I, I'm sick. You know, I, I don't, I don't feel good on a daily basis. My energy sucks. I want to lose 50 pounds. Do you just take them and, and turn them inside out and say, Hey man, you got to go all meat all the time. Or, or what do you do? No, I mean, I think there's a strategy. I mean, you know, there's a lot of ways you can approach that. I mean, there's lots of, you can, you can calorie restrict, you know, the problem with calorie restriction, and I'm sure you've noted to cut weight. It's not very sustainable. It's hard to do yeah. long term because you just you, eat less and less. All well, the and, time. You just, and you're just hungry all the time, and it's not a fun place to be. So, but you can do that. You can play with different. You can eliminate different foods at a time. You know, and that that can be a long process. You know, what you can do is you can certainly go. Uh, you know, just eliminate it down to basic. You know, all meat. And, uh, you know, like uh, Rob Wolf and I talked about this the other day. And he said, I know Rob's done that before, yeah. We call it a safe space, you know, just because everybody's kind of safe there. And then you can kind of see how you do. Uh, most people will lose weight. You know, we find that it, 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 you, you probably noticed that too, that the meat in particular is pretty satiating, the combination of protein and fat. And so your appetite kind of naturally regulates itself to where you're just maybe not eating as much. And, and to, to hold weight on, you got to actually consciously yeah physically voluntarily eat more than you maybe maybe may feel like eating so a lot of people just lose that weight weight that way and then what they can do is say if they want to go that route they can say all right i did i did you know 30 days 60 days i feel better you know a lot i got some health issues that, that went away i lost some weight now let me see can i handle whatever can i handle blueberries now can i handle oranges or whatever they want to put right. in you know because there's different people that have different tolerances i think we all have the capacity to digest and tolerate meat very well with a very rare exception there's some weird genetic abnormalities where very few people can't do it but 99.99 percent .99 of people on earth can probably do this and then the rest of it is you know probably there's some genetic or ancestral variation on what you can handle you know where did, did did my ancestors grow up in a place where we were introduced to dairy early on so can i handle handle dairy northern europeans like when i got back when i was in iceland have you been, have you met iceland before mark i have not no pretty a lot of strong people there as you yeah. probably know uh but they are they're used to dairy because they that's, and they handle it better and mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody from africa or asia where they didn't introduce dairies early in their I think culture. last time you were here, you were just like on your way there. Yeah, or something right, like right, that. right. Yeah, so it was a good trip. Good place. Good people. Yeah, that, it's kind of funny. In Iceland now, Iceland only has about 350,000 people, right? Mm. And as you know, they've had two World Strongest Man oh, yeah. Champions. They've yeah. had eight titles. They had, you yeah. know, they had uh, uh, Sigmarsson and... Uh, uh, well, now they got Thor, right? Well, did he? Did he? Well, he hasn't won. Oh, the yeah, yeah, right. He won the Arnold. Well, you, you, you can't put Brian out. Just yeah, yet. yeah, that's right. Don't, don't tell Brian. <laughs> yeah. but, but but I mean, yeah. But I mean, so these yeah. people are these these massive 
big people right. in CrossFit. There've been a lot of CrossFit champions. Right. But the other thing about Iceland, and they've been a meat-heavy, dairy-heavy society for ages, right? They, they haven't had access to fruits and vegetables very much because it just doesn't grow there. Like Benedict so, you know, Magnuson from there, Benedict's too. Benedict's got the world record in the deadlift, right? Yeah. He's talking about being on a carnivore diet, too, by the way. I don't know. Wow. And I don't know if Thor is... is you know, sneaking a little more meat in there. I know, I know that he, I know that Hapthor's been eating a lot more steak. Yeah, so we gotta um, get Brian, there, there, we gotta they, get Brian more, even more steak. Yeah, Brian's crushing a lot of steak because he does a lot of, they, they both do a lot of stand efforting stuff, yeah, which is yeah. basically a version of what you're doing, just, uh, just with add this, add, f- adding some rice and potatoes. Carbs, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But the other thing about Iceland, which I think is really neat, because not this, not only the fact that they've got these tremendous athletes for the size of the, the country, but they live as some of the longest people on earth too. Mm. And they've got more guys living over a hundred years than almost anywhere else on the planet per capita. Wow! Which is, and they're on an animal-based diet for the most part. Which yeah, is I neat. didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't yeah. realize that. I mean, this is just like as backwards as you can get. It's as different um, as you can get in terms of a diet. Like people are always talking about uh, yogurt, and uh, I think I think most of us are kind of over the hump in terms of uh, recognizing that grains can give us some problems, but uh, what about like probiotics and some of these other things we've been sold on for so long that are healthy for us, I right? I mean, there, there's a lot of marketing and a lot of money being made in the, you know, in the supplement industry. And, you know, as you, and you, you know, I've been doing this for a long, you know, you've seen yeah. all the supplements have come out in the bodybuilding stuff for years. And you just keep and getting you get recycled over and over again. And you're like, that shit didn't work. I remember when chromium picanolate was this big thing. I don't remember yeah. if you remember that. Yeah, you, you buy that stuff and you try this stuff and it's like, did it actually work or not? Or did I just get taken? You know, you never know because you don't really notice a bigger, you know, I would say things like creatine when creatine came out, I think right. there was a little bit of an effect. People could actually see that, but where is creatine found? In meat. Found in meat. <laughs> Most of the ones that really have worked, you know, the ones right. that you can buy as, as supplements are, are mostly in meat with the exception of maybe caffeine. So it's kind of interesting, but, but, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, there's a lot caffeine of, fed cows. You just yeah, nailed yeah. something right there. There you go. Caffeine meat. <laughs> maybe it's a, maybe, maybe what's that, the deal with uh, grass fed? Uh, so grass fed, you know, I think, uh, is that a thing? Is that important? Well, sure. Sure. I mean, so grass fed. So let's just talk about how cattle are raised. Cause I think, you know, there's an environmental issue that people want to talk about. And I think it's important. Um, grass fed cattle. I think cattle in general, from an ethical and environmental standpoint, have it much better than, chickens and pigs mm. I, mean, I think that's pretty clear and i think we have to work to do in all areas but a grass-fed animal like all cattle whether they're grass finished or grain finished spend about 80 percent of their life on grass so even you know they spend the first most of their life in pasture no matter how they're finished and then the ones that are mm. finished on grass will you know they'll continue to eat grass but it depends on where they live if they live in the winter areas where it's snowy they got to go inside and eat something else so they're not always on grass gotcha. so even if it says grass finished Maybe they didn't get all grass. Um, the grain-fed animals are brought in for a few months, and they're fed, you know, a combination. They're still fed grass, some different forage material, and then they slowly add in a little bit of grain to, to, to size them up. But the difference, uh, you know, there are there are minor nutritional differences, but the differences are so small that it probably doesn't make much of a difference for human health, right? Uh-huh. Now, from an environmental standpoint, some people argue that the grains that are going to feed the cattle are causing a net environmental negative. And there's some truth to that. You know, how big of an effect it is, it's kind of overblown by the people that make the the propaganda documentary films. And when you talk to actual right. cattle ranchers and people that do that, they can tell you that it's not as big of an effect as you as, as it you know as seemed to be. Now, um, can we do better? Should we do better? Particularly if, if people decide that, hey, meat is an essential part of the diet, then I think we, we can and we, we have the technology to do it. But it's just a matter of having the willpower. Because right now, the... 
you know, it's kind of like this big political swing where it's going one way to plant base. Mm-hmm. And we got all these people behind this movement. And what we're seeing is a lot of people are, you know, really, some people are doing okay in it, but there's a lot of people where their health really deteriorates. There was an interesting documentary came out a couple of days ago where a guy went on a vegan diet for mm. 28 days oh, and he measured, he got some measurements done. In 28 days, he lost two kilos of lean muscle mass and 3% of his bone mass. Wow. And that's, that's usually takes a decade to happen. And he did <laughs> that's that. That's a short period that. of time. He did that. So, I mean, we, we have to, we have to find a balance. You know, it's not that I'm saying everybody needs to go on a meat only diet because clearly not everyone does, but for the people that, um, need to do that or want to do that for either health reasons or even athletic reasons, I think, you know, that should be an option for them. And I think the, the neat thing is what I'm seeing every day is people getting rid of, you know, like I know your cousin. Yeah. Steven. Is, yeah. Is doing your yeah. When were you here last? Was when in January, was it? Middle of January. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then he's lost. I mean, shit, I don't even know. He's, he was like, I think he's down to about 40 pounds since January, middle of January. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, but it's the things like people seeing rheumatoid arthritis going away, ankylosing spondylitis. These are diseases that just don't go away on their own. I mean, right. and you, the, the treatment form are high dose corticosteroids, which have all kinds of side effects, or these really expensive immunosuppressive and immunomodulating drugs, which really have a lot of bad side effects. Mm. And so to see people basically um, getting rid of those diseases to me is, is fascinating. And I think it's something that we need to continue to look at. It seems to me like um, most people can benefit from even just trying this, even just trying to eliminate some of the other foods that they that they're eating. I remember Rob Wolf years ago uh, talking about trying to eliminate some of your foods and trying to bring, um, you know, trying trying to figure out what foods are causing you problems. And I thought, man, what a like what a shitty thing like that sucks to have to do that. But some people are kind of painted in a corner where they need to, but. From what I've seen, uh, all the different results that people are getting that are popping up on your page and the different people that are tagging me and stuff, it just seems like it makes sense for everybody to at least, you don't want to force anything on anybody, but I think that almost anybody can benefit from this. Well, I mean, it's, you know, like I said, we have, you know, we just got to walk outside and see how many people are sick in this country. And it's it's a shame because, you know, the U.S., you know, we'll just talk to the U.S. audience, but the U.S. has so much wealth and we have so much... uh, uh, technology that we should not be a sick nation. We right. should be a nation of people that are tan and jacked. That's you know, right. I mean, we really should. We really have that capacity. And the problem with that is no one knows the answer to that. And so we keep pouring money in the wrong end. We keep developing procedures to treat diseases after they've already occurred. And it's the solution could be, and I think it is very, very simple for a lot of people. And so, you know, if, if this is something that, you know, and the nice thing about being on this is, you know, with social media, and when I talked to you about this last time, this you have such a big, powerful reach now that this is going to get to, you know, maybe it'll be all the meatheads that listen to you, you yeah. know, because you mostly have a lot of guys, but you're going to get the meatheads' mom that's going to hear this stuff, right. or the meathead sister, and those that's guys what's are happening with that. the that's right. what's happening with the right. ten minute walks and right. stuff. Absolutely. They're they're grabbing yeah. a hold of yeah. a family member and they're going on these ten yeah. minute yeah. walks. I mean, it can stuff. make a difference, and you know, it, it, you know, it doesn't take the Harvard scientist to move the needle on health. It can take the guy who busts his ass in the gym and, uh, you know, you know, cause well, uh, like where the rubber meets the road yeah. is where it counts. And you know, you know, you can sit back in your research chamber, but what's happening in real life is, is what really, in my view counts. And like I said, what I like to see about athletes is because they're pushing the envelope. You know, a lot of the athletes are at the extremes and that, yeah. that kind of teaches you about physiology and you see where, okay, what really happens when humans really do something extreme, like, you know, eating all meat what happens <laughs> right you know the last time this was formally tested was 1928 
Mm. They did a study in Bellevue uh, Hospital in New York, and uh, these two guys, Vilmer Stefanson, and, and you know, I can't remember Anderson's first name, but they came back from the polar exploration. So they lived with the Inuit for nine or 10 years, and they only ate meat. No one believed them. They said, you're going to die. You're going to get sick. You're going to get scurvy. So they said, okay, we'll do it. So they, they, they locked themselves in a hospital for a year, only ate meat, and they were <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. That was 1928, and the last time anybody's checked this, which is kind of interesting. So now we're doing it 90 years later, wow. and we're seeing that people Thank are, you. you know, not only not getting sick, but they're getting really healthy. What you got, Andrew? You got something over there, buddy? Yeah, I got people asking about bone broth. Mark's been boner broth. Yeah, Mark's been Doing down in quite a bit of boner broth lately. Yeah. Is that something that you partake in? Uh, I I'm just because I'm lazy, you know, and I don't. I mean, I used to make it a little bit. I cook a chicken in a pot and use that and make my own bone broth. But it's fine. There's nothing wrong with bone broth. You know, it's it's high in electrolytes. It's high in in, in uh, uh, collagen. Uh, if we look at steak, because I eat a lot of steak. Steak is about three percent. Well, muscle is about three percent collagen by by weight. So if you eat a lot of steak, you're going to get plenty of collagen. And then I throw salt on my steak. So, you know, a lot of people that like a warm drink, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a good option for them. Because a lot of people are, you know, they're so used to drinking flavored. A lot of coffee uh, and things Coffees like that. and, you know, like sodas and, mm-hmm. and artificial sweetened flavors. And I, you know, I look at, I'm like, you know, because people say, well, this is a sort of, a, it's kind of a monotonous diet. And it is. <laughs> um, I drink water. I drink what every other animal on the planet drinks. Right. And I just consider myself a dumb animal. You know, I think you know some people want to pretend they're not, but all animals just drink water. That's they don't drink coffee. They don't drink you know, uh, you know stevia flavored water or anything right. like that. And it works fine. But the other thing is, if we look back into human existence, we didn't have menus twenty thousand years ago. You weren't going to go get the chef's tasting menu twenty thousand years. You're going to get a big hunk of meat, maybe a couple berries or a nut or two if you could gather them. But I mean, the menu was probably the same damn thing day in and day out. And people were happy. I mean, I'm sure they were. I mean, you know, if I look at my dogs, you know, my dog. Do you have a dog or anything like that? I do not. You should get a dog, man. They're good animals. <laughs> anyway, but they're, you know what? You know why? You know why dogs are man's best friend? Because they eat the, we have the, the most resemblance to any animal. The digestive tract is, is, is a dog. Ours oh, really? very similar because we were, we co-evolved. Because those animals, the wolves helped us hunt. And we domesticated them into, you know, dogs eventually. And they eat the same diet as we do. Mm-hmm. My dogs, I give them. A hunk of meat in the morning, mostly some hamburger in the morning and hamburger in the afternoon. And they're happy every time. They don't ask for the menu. They don't ask for different flavors. Mm. It's like, and they're drooling. It's like, you know, I don't know when you start, have you noticed when you start cooking a steak now, oh. you start to drool, man. Yeah, like, it's embarrassing. You start, yeah, it is. You start to like, you get this, we call it the cephalic phase of digestion. You, you, your brain focuses on it and you start digesting because you're secreting saliva so you can secrete that salivary lipase because uh, there's lipase in your saliva as well mm-hmm. as amylase. And as that happens, digestive then you start digesting in your head and then you're ready to, then you're ready to eat. And so it's kind of neat, but yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah, I think, but bone broth is fine. You know, some of these other things, you know, are, are, you know, people talk about, ask me about protein powder and I'm like, well, you know, you can do it. It's, 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 you probably don't need to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you know, unless you have a hard time getting steak made, cause there's plenty of, there's plenty of protein and it's in a very nice bioavailable form. As it comes to meat, and it comes with fat too, which is kind of how we're designed. Yeah. So for me, I, I I eat twice a day, right. um, on most days. Every once in a while, maybe three times, and so I'll add a little protein here and there. I add like a, you know, I'll, I'll have a, 
you know, some pro- protein before I go to bed or something like that. And sometimes I add some protein to, uh, the bone broth. Sometimes I'll add an egg to mm-hmm. the bone broth. Um, just some little things like that, just because my appetite is okay, but it's not, I, you know, four pounds of meat every day. I don't think I'm chucking that much down. Um, on some days I probably am in that range, but I'd say like on average, I'm probably more like between two and three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, while I, it is my goal to continue to lose some weight and continue to get leaner, I don't want to just like wither away and lose weight, you know, super fast. And also, uh, you, you know, people kind of forget in the absence of food, we're also, losing electrolytes you know when you fast and do some of these things so i'm trying to keep that balance i've had issues in the past with uh cramping up and stuff like that so i'm trying to um i'm trying to learn as we, as i go along i'm trying to learn how my body feels and how my body reacts the bone broth for me it's been great because um it uh i like the flavor of it um when you get to make a funny face when you press that's the right, that's right. <laughs> ah, having that uh having that drink uh you know having something hot like that almost like a soup or something like that um it makes you feel more full than you really are if that makes any sense where do you, do you make your, where do you get your bone broth oh, I, do you just- I just get uh it's just a particular company that i pick up at the store it's epic you know and it, it's uh it's like um has a cow on it and it's a jalapeno something flavor so it's got a little bit of ingredients in it but uh i like the flavor of that one so i use that a lot but i've I've used different ones too yeah i think that you highlight a good point i mean like i said you you, you have to figure out what really works for you and the nice thing is when you when you only have a very few variables and you pretty, pull out a lot of stuff yeah, then you start to figure, to figure out. out what's working and what's not you know when you're eating 155 different types of food it becomes difficult to figure out to isolate which one's hard so if it's meat plus bone broth and i'm doing great yeah hey man that's fine i'll remember. tell people this too you know if you if you are to try something like this and you let's just say you go three days mm-hmm. you go three days and the only thing that you eat is some eggs some bacon and predominantly steak and maybe some bone broth on that third or fourth day. If you have a hard workout and you go home and you eat something like an orange, you will feel like you died and went to heaven. (laughs) It'll be like the most tasteful thing you've ever had in your life because you know, a lot of that has been suppressed for a while, but I think that people need to, they need to work on getting themselves to that point because we're so desensitized to to taste. Um, Years ago, I started to embark, you know, more on just being healthier. This is, a long time ago. This is uh, before I even got into uh, powerlifter mode. But, you know, I was eating things like spinach and almonds and things like that. And I just, I stopped seasoning them. I stopped putting stuff on them. I started buying raw almonds. I started getting uh, just regular spinach, not putting a bunch of crap on it. And you can actually taste the, the nutty flavor of it. Same thing with a steak. Even, a, you know, it's a better with salt on it. You can eat more of it when it has salt on it. But just the flavor of some steak, you put a little bit of like butter on it or something and it tastes fucking awesome as opposed to going to a barbecue you know where they put all kinds of junk on it you get used to those flavors we get used to the flavor of doritos we get used to the flavor of all this stuff and then when you have something natural and you have something that's supposed to be good for you you're like oh that tastes like crap it's like no it doesn't taste like crap that's the way it's supposed to taste that's the way things are supposed to taste in general they're not supposed to have 75 different flavors going on at one time yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the, the food companies understand this. They have, you know, a guy named, uh, I can't remember Moskowitz, his first name was, but he, he, he developed something called a bliss point, you know, back in the early 80s or 70s, I think. And he calculated exactly how much sugar and exactly how much would, would be the most palatable. And so they have these formulas to decide what is the most 
flavorable to humans, what is the most addictive? Mm. And so they load that stuff in there. And so now your taste buds are desensitized. And so now for me, I mean, even drinking water tastes a little bit sweet to me. And so I, I just, you know, you lose that, that ability to, to, to sort of discriminate these fine different flavors because you're just, I mean, you're just hit with a Mack truck or the flavor all the time, all day long. And people tend to be so used to that that they can't you know it takes a while but once you do it once you give it a a few weeks or a few months where you're not eating all that stuff now all of a sudden you can actually taste the flavor of food and you're right meat i mean you'll you'll notice the different cuts of steak taste a little different and you, yeah. know, you can you people can tell you know how the cow is raised and what part of the country is from right. you, you you become almost like a wine connoisseur you, just, <laughs> yeah. you can just really taste a little subtle variations of flavor and it's very pleasing uh, I think we have. Yeah, we went to eat the other day, and uh, Andrew, he's been doing some of this diet. He was like, "This meat's about to go bad." And he didn't eat it. You know, you can just you can as gross as that is, but you can you can taste that. You now have taste buds for that. Yeah, it was such a bummer. I was <laughs> so excited to eat. I was so hungry. But that was actually another question we had come in. Uh, are there any better cuts than the other as far as steak? Like anything more nutritious than the other? Um, I think from a nutrition standpoint, just the, the primal cut, so just the, the name cuts, you know, uh, from a taste standpoint, I would argue there's some better cuts. I mean, you know, I think Mark will agree, things like ribeye steaks and oh, T-bones are, are right at the top of the taste spectrum. And one of the reasons that is, why does that taste so good? Why do the fattier cuts of meat taste so good? And I think there's, again, some evolutionary perspective we put on this. And so if we go back several hundred thousand years and we look at some of our forebears, you know, either uh, Homo erectus, which we didn't directly descend from, but we probably interbred with to make whoever, how, however the Homo sapiens came out with. And, and then early Homo sapiens, they preferentially went after these really big fatty animals and particularly things like mammoth and elephant and some of the other megafauna that exist. And those were these big fatty animals. Even today's modern hunter-gatherers, which don't necessarily represent the, the people from you know, 20,000 years ago because because the, the climate has changed, the, the, the animal selection has changed. Now they're kind of, they're, they're at the bottom of, they're kind of fighting for the scraps now. They're trying to catch the antelope, which are much skinnier, not as much fat. But humans initially evolved on really big, fatty hunks of meat, probably coming from things like elephant and mammoth. And that's why when we get these really fatty steaks, it's so just, you know, deep down primally pleasing to us. Yeah. And then uh, there's a couple of people asking, or they're just talking about like how expensive steaks can be. But you and I were just talking earlier about how actually like affordable it can be to eat just like straight hamburger patties at Wendy's. Because I know you like to go nuts over there. <laughs> 12 patties at a time. <laughs> well, I mean, it can, you know, it depends on what country you're in. Obviously in the U.S. you can get some pretty good deals in meat. In Central Europe, they've got really good prices. I mean, like Poland is like ridiculously mm -hmm. Romania. But different countries have different policies on, on that, and so the prices vary. But in the U.S., uh, I'll often use you know uh, a website called mygrocerydeals.com. I just go in there, you type in your zip code, type in steak, and it'll tell you where the best price is. I, I just buy in volume. I'll buy. I go to the. I'll call the butcher and said, "Hey man, I need fifty pounds of your ribeye at five bucks a pound." Mm. I'll load up on that stuff, and then I'm eating for the next couple of weeks on you know five bucks a pound for steak, which is really, I mean, that's really affordable. You know, if you, even if you compare it to, yeah. you, know, you can get a you can get a sixteen ounce steak for five bucks. That's less than a cup of coffee in a lot of places, yeah. which is like, and, and that's real nutrition there. Well, I think people are just so they might look at the cost of uh, a big steak that they bought, um, and it, it might be you know thirty bucks or something like that, and they're thinking, oh my god, if I'm going to eat that twice a day, that's going to be really expensive. Uh, but you don't have to eat the best steaks that there are. Um, you can have hamburger meat, and there's there's some other options, but you can also have, um, have eggs. some eggs here and yeah, there, sure. like egg, eggs are 
are not typically that expensive, some bacon. Um, bone broth can be really expensive, but you can also make your own. I mean, you can be resourceful. Um, what about, uh, you know, other other types of meat? Uh, lamb, what about uh, some yeah, other I mean, things like I that? Think, I think what most people will find if they do this long term, you know, I think anyone's fine to start with. I think uh, we call ruminant animals, you know, r- red meat animals, grazing animals like uh Cows and sheep tend to have the most nutrition, mm. in my experience. And, and most people will find—I don't know what your taste is, but that's that's your taste preference. You know, yeah. like if you now I'll tell you if what will happen to you. Right? If you eat a lot of chicken now versus steak, you'll be like, and eh, the uh, chicken's kind of like you know. I can't it, even eat chicken. Some people call it like uh, meat salad. You know, it's like a salad now. Chicken's <laughs> kind of like salad, but the real meat is 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 uh, that. But I think lamb is is very very nutritious. Again, back in Iceland, they had a lot of lamb. It was mm-hmm. really good. Uh, but things like you know lamb, goat. Uh, elk. Oh, uh, elk, yeah, game meat. I know Joe Rogan likes to do a lot mm-hmm. of the game meat, and those things can be very nutritious too. The only negative for some of the game meat is it can be a little lean, so you might have to beef right. up the fat content a little bit by cooking. And I prefer people cook in animal fats, so either butter, ghee, or use tallow or lard, like they used to do a hundred years ago, like when we before. Yeah, we, some of these companies now they sell like right. goose fat and right, right. all these different yeah, those things. things are, those things are very flavorful because the yeah. flavor is better, and you know I think the, the health benefits are better as well. Is there anything you miss food-wise? Yeah, I mean, I, I would, you know, if, if I were to come off the diet, it wouldn't be to eat broccoli. I mean, there's no way. I mean, I'd eat friggin' dessert. I mean, that, that's right. what I would do because I had a real sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. Now, because I... That's important you know, to point out. You were a heavier guy, right? You did Highland yeah, Games yeah, and I mean, you, I was, you were I, 300 I, or yeah, so. Yeah, about 295, 280. Yeah, which isn't that heavy for your height. Yeah, but, but I mean, well, I mean, not in, in your world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in normal people world, 300 pounds, 6'5", is, is a big guy. But, yeah. but you know, in the Highland Games, that's like an average-sized dude, right? I mean, you're right. a small guy for some of those yeah. guys, you know, in the strongman stuff. But, yeah, so, I mean, I was eating, you know, 8,000 calories a day. Mm. You know, eating dessert, you know, but I eat a lot of regular healthy food too. But I mean, I miss that stuff. I mean, from a, you know, if I were going to eat something, like if I were going to cheat tomorrow, I would right. go eat a piece of cheesecake or something like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't cheat to have a, an apple or a, right. you know, a, a broccoli. Are salad. you enticed by that at all? Like when you Not see much. ice uh, cream, I mean. The only time I even remotely think about that is if I haven't eaten in a long time, like if okay. I haven't eaten soon enough, but. And your eyeballs. Generally, <laughs> yeah, well, then, you know, like a generally, if, if I can get you know, nutrition and steak, then I don't even think about this because right. I have my kids and sometimes I'll make my kids stuff like that. Not that often, but I'll cook it for them and I, I won't have any of it. I'll just like, here you go, kids. Um, but yeah, I'm not really, th- this is the one unique thing about this diet. And I, and I don't know if you've experienced it, but a lot of people that comment on this is they say their cravings for that stuff really diminish. I and believe it becomes, that. Yeah. It becomes a, because you're so well, uh, you're so well nourished from getting this, this constant infusion of uh, nourishing, you know, steak or red meat that, um, you know, those cravings really tend to go away and you don't have these mental battles. You know, a lot of people just find that like, I could take it or leave it. You know, I, you know, you think about it, there's a little psychological stuff still going on, but the, the physiologic, you know, I got to have it cravings, you know, like before when you're a car beater and you're really hungry, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. It's a mm, bunch of junk, yeah. a cookie. You'll eat it just because I'm so hungry. Right. Now you're, you're never hungry that much. And so you, right. you have that willpower, you have that, you know, all you got to do is have a little bit of mental willpower because if the physical stuff is gone. You know, right. the, the cravings are gone in most cases. Yeah, no, I think I think it helps a lot. I think it helps build it helps build willpower, helps build uh better habits. You know, and it takes it takes a long time. It takes a while. I tell people all the time, you know, you're one meal away from being off your diet, one meal away from being back on. One thing that's important with uh 
with your philosophy, uh, with meat heals, as in it heals your body, it helps your body, it helps cure you of, of it's helped cure a lot of people of disease, uh, it's helped you lose weight, it's helped you with performance in the gym, you mentioned performance in the bedroom, can I get a <laughs> hey now? Um, and we've seen you, last time you were here, you you, you know, you worked out like a maniac, um, and it's, it's really, it is healing a lot of people, and what I think what I think people need to just comprehend here is that uh, the reason why you chose this style of diet is because you recognized that the more meat that you eat, almost the better, I guess, within reason. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't come to this from a very sick standpoint. When I read about this, most of the people that did this were really, truly sick people that had all kinds of medical issues and they did it out of desperation. And I did it, you know, just after doing my own research saying, I think this might help me athletic because I'm very competitive. Like you, you're very competitive. You always want to do better. Yeah, absolutely. And I just said, I'm going to try it for a little while. And then I noted my performance got better. And mm-hmm. though it was just kind of like, and it continues to do even, even 15 months into this, I'm, I'm still getting stronger. I'm still getting faster. You know, I still had a few minor health, like joint things. You know, as you get old, the nice thing about being old and beat up is you know things that don't work. You know, you find, wow, you my elbow is really you hurting You can feel me, right? it quick. Yeah, and so this is a way, because I had chronic knee issues. You know, mm-hmm. my, my quad tendon was really bugging me. It bugged me for 10 years, and that completely went away. And so I was like, well, this is, there's something here. And so as I continued to do this, I noticed better recovery, uh, you know, just better strength went up, which yeah. is, I think is, is pretty remarkable, particularly if you've been training for 35, 40 years at a, at a hard level, your strength just doesn't automatically go up. It's hard to do. You know, it's hard to put on a couple pounds of right. muscle when you've been doing it for 20-some years. And so I noticed those things starting to happen. And so I thought this is unique from an athletic standpoint. That's what's kind of keeping me in the some, game. Some of what you're saying with, uh, you know, eating eating large amounts of meat um, has been a little bit similar to what bodybuilders will say. So a bodybuilder will say um, – yes, you can have a quest bar and yes, you can have a protein bar here and there, but it really doesn't make any sense because it's taking up space, taking up valuable uh, real estate uh, in the grand scheme of things. What we're trying to do is we're trying to have our body be in an anabolic state as, you know, quote unquote anabolic state as much as possible. And we're trying to flood the body with as much nutrients, as much food as we can. And if you're taking up space by eating a protein bar, having a protein shake, uh, you're giving up some valuable space to some real food that could really probably make a bigger difference such as in a bodybuilder's case you know lower fat uh high protein and uh and carbohydrates and things of that nature and in your case it's just it's just a little bit different because of the uh macronutrient that you chose yeah i think there's you know obviously you got to do what works you know there's a lot of bodybuilders have proven they can get huge yeah eating a mixed diet you know doing doing the right chemistry stuff and 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 so there's no doubt that stuff works the question is you know can you do it another way is one way potentially more healthy than the other, and I don't know. There's there's some thought. I just saw a nice lecture from a guy named Ben Bickman, who's a who's a who's a uh, PhD out of Utah somewhere, talking about the relationship between insulin and glucagon. Mm-hmm. And when we go on low carbohydrate diets, protein, you know, you're kind of in a relatively even situation where anabolism and catabolism are kind of, you know, you're a little bit anabolic, but you're not as you're not very. Uh, uh, you know, and, and very little catabolic. So you, you kind of, anabolism kind of, kind of dominates there and protein uh, can have a little bit of an impact on that, but not much. But when you're on a high carb diet, you know, you can, you can swing things where your insulin is really overpowering. And that's where sometimes you can get that effect where you're building muscle, but at the same time, too much insulin can lead to problems. And so right. the question is, do you do it slow and say, I think it's probably a, 
you know, if, if I were to say, how's the quickest way I can get as much muscle on as possible, I'd say add more carbs in. Mm. But if I said, how do I want to do it in a way where maybe my joints aren't flaring up and maybe my recovery is better, maybe my performance ultimately is better, um, you know, it might make more sense to do it in this sort of way. And I think that's, yeah. I think we're seeing that people are doing that. Yeah, we yeah. got a, another Go question. Uh, C. Petey just hit us up on the YouTube live chat. Uh, he wants to know if there's any pros or cons to drinking milk. Uh, oh, yeah. So I think, um, you know, I think it depends on your, one, your tolerance. You know, if you're lactose intolerant. Definitely some cons of me drinking milk. Yeah, I mean, if you're Same. lactose intolerant, there's some problems. I'll tell you, you know, that much right now. <laughs> the, the pros may be that there's more sugar and carbohydrate in there if you're, if you're trying to, you know, hit carbohydrates. The cons are the same thing. You know, if you have too much lactose, you know, you're going to have issues with, with carbohydrates. Some people, some people will find dairy products in general to be inflammatory. You know, and I, me particularly, if I do that, I notice that I don't sleep as well. I get congested. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's some people where it's a negative. I think you guys, it's kind of a case by case basis. You know, this is just in general. Now, if you're saying I want to strictly be on a carnivorous diet, I would say you probably don't drink milk. If you're going to have a little bit of dairy, uh, do a little bit of hard cheese, do a little bit of cream, you know, maybe stick it in your coffee or something like that. But guzzling, you know, the GOMAD, you know, I used to do the GOMAD. You remember the GOMAD stuff? Yeah. You know? The 2020 totally. rep squats and GOMAD, you know, and so, you know, you do that stuff. <laughs> And, yeah. you know, you get, you know, you get, you get big, but you get a little fat too. So there's an interesting, there's a tribe in Africa. They're not the Maasai, but they're one that's similar. And they have a, a contest every year where the, the person, all they do is drink milk all day long Ooh. and they drink as much milk as possible get bloated. and they get bloated and huge and fat. But that's considered a, a sign of, you know, that's something they prize. Yeah. So the guy that gets the biggest, fattest guy from drinking all the milk. Gets the women or whatever. I whatever prided myself on that for years. Yeah, but I have to. I have to see. I saw some of your pictures. Yeah. You're you're definitely getting the getting the, getting getting the styles on. <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh, you know. Again, just a short short answer to that question is potentially. You know, many people will say it's kind of contentious. Do you drink whole whole milk, raw milk, right. or low fat skim yeah. milk? You know, and it's 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 kind of a goes back and forth. You know, it's. I don't think it's, I don't think there's I don't think there's an easy answer on that question. Quite honestly, I, you know, I think uh, it. it it does boil down to, you know, the answer everybody hates. It's like, find what works for you, you know, because if you can digest milk, okay, then you're, you're probably okay. I mean, if you feel, if you feel okay, but I think it's important that people do take out some of these things from their, from their diet to see if they feel better. Um, when it comes to, um, when it comes to milk, there's been a lot of great athletes over the years that have gotten really big and strong, um, using, you know, meat, potatoes, milk, um, Bill Kazmaier comes to mind. There's a lot of these people, but when you listen to some of the stuff from uh, Stan Efferding and when he's talking about like the vertical diet or some of these bodybuilders, I think they have great concepts. They're talking about trying to, to digest stuff uh, in a timely manner so that you can get more nutrients in. And so for some of you guys that want to get bigger and stronger, uh, the real, the real trick is going to be to be able to turn that food over so you can have enough calories each day to be the size that you want to be and be the strength that you want to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the simplest thing in the consciousness of a carnivorous diet is do it without it for a month and then add it back in and see how you do. Because, again, if, you're, if your only metric is how big and how strong can I, can I be, that's different than if your metric is mm -hmm. how big and how strong can I be without my, my back hurting, my knees yeah. hurting, or my yeah. skin flaring up. And so there's, or my digestion yeah. being crappy. And so there's, 
different ways to do that you know and some people like i said young guys 19 20 years old you're bulletproof you can do about any diet you know there's there's professional athletes on the mcdonald's diet they're kicking ass oh yeah genetics yeah so i mean you know but but when you when you start to to look at career longevity you know do you want to be in the game for five years or 20 years and so it may make a difference in that in that outcome and so i you know like i said i'm i'm saying this from a guy in his 50s and Mark's in his 40s now, you know, you kind of get through that. Gauntlet. People are watching this like, these guys are fucking yeah, old as shit. Yeah, they yeah, shut whatever. it off a long time ago. Like, I'll, hide fuck, my, I'll hide my walker behind, this, <laughs> behind the, uh, the the stage here. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's something to think about. And I will tell you that I'm seeing, man, a lot of pretty high level athletes are starting to do this now and they're, they're getting pretty good results. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's still kind of the wild, wild west as far as nutrition is concerned, but there's a kid in, in Canada. Uh, he's a, he's a 165 pound power lifter, mm. a Canadian CPF, uh, national record holder. Oh, I think and, I might've seen him on Instagram and he's like blowing up his numbers right now. And I'll make I think he might've been tagging the carnivore diet. Yeah, he is. He is. But he's, he's, he's putting up some pretty, pretty impressive. He deadlift like close to 700 pounds. I think he's about, I think he's going to hit pretty about 700. I know he just pulled like 585 yeah, for six like reps for six sets with no belt. Uh, you know, he's sumo. Yeah. So you gotta, oh, he's you, know, awesome. you gotta, yeah. you gotta. Come on now. <laughs> so you ever deadlift sumo? No. I mean, I've, I've done, yeah. but I suck at it. I mean, I'm look at me. I wouldn't, I would not be a very well, I don't think I'm built for sumo. Maybe yeah. you have more, more thought yeah, on I that. Know. Yeah. It depends on how you move. I uh, mean, I, I, I've done it just been training, yeah. screwing up, but I never tried to do a real heavy. But you have a really strong deadlift. I did, yeah. I mean, I think I'm still okay. I mean, I'm too old now. What happened? Well, maybe we'll see. No, I'm, I, I had a, you know, my best was 770. You need to mix in some vegetables. Yeah, like. the vegetables that got me there. <laughs> yeah, and no, I did that in 2000 when I was 33, and I'm 51 now. But I still maintain. I was over 700 up until I turned 43. Was the last time I tried to pull. How much did you say you did? 772. Man, that's that's huge. That's a good. That was a good. I did that in. Uh, it was kind of funny. I did that in a little organization because you know how powerlifting has all these organizations. Yeah. Now? So I used to lift in USAPL, and then I lifted in NASA. I don't know if they're still around. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, I, but I did yeah. that. I remember I did that. Nate, they some were, sort of they're trying to send rockets in outer space or something. Well, I think, right? yeah. But they, <laughs> anyway, but they they had this they had this meet where it was like. A lot of people on one platform, so it took all damn day. So I remember uh, I was squatting at like nine a.m. Yeah. and I was pulling at like eleven o'clock at night. Hmm. And I mean, I, like I pulled seven seventy two, and I was tired. And then I, I had seven eighty three, and I had it just above my knees. I couldn't lock that damn oh, thing So then I went into the one that got away. Yeah, so I should have had a seven eighty three. But then I had to go to uh, then I did my surgical residency. Then I started working one hundred forty hours a week. And oh then it was my just god, like, crap! You can't you can't train anymore. So, so. your actual doctor? I thought it, I thought the doctor thing was just like <laughs> you're the meat doctor. <laughs> a little of both. Yeah. No, I did I did an orthopedic surgery residency, training or and trained, did that, and did war trauma, and uh, spent about two decades. I got something like medicine. right here, and then yeah, over here, and then does, on this yeah. side. <laughs> Can you just you yeah, know just hit you in the head with a steak? Yeah, give me fine. some vodka, and uh, <laughs> let's do some surgery here. How long did you do that for? Uh, about 20 years. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably get back to doing that part time. I think once I get through this nutritional <laughs> and stuff. And is it right? You got kind of booted out for, uh, well, yeah. you know, wanting to, story. Yeah. Wanting I mean, to I, recommend. I, yeah. Uh, when I, when I, now this has happened to somebody more recently too. I saw. Yeah. There's a couple of doctors where this has happened to, you know, there's a guy in Australia that was told he's not allowed to give nutritional advice to his patients. Because it was low carb advice, and they told him it goes against the dietary guidelines, and so we don't want. So to do that. Uh, why why does so it, so uh, 
how does that work? Is it because uh, they'll say like board certified? Is that how it works? And is there a board of people that kind of vote you out or something? No, like that, I mean, or it, no, it was a hospital. It was directly with hospitals. So oh, I mean, okay. I got board certified when I when I passed my exams and met with a big board. So I was board certified, and then basically I, I started to change the way I practiced because I was I was initially the the normal guy where I was just doing a lot of surgery. I was doing lots and lots of surgery. Um, you know, taking care of lots of patients, making them a hospital a lot of money. Hospital mm. likes that. They like yeah. making their money. And then I started to sort of sort of talk about, well, let's start treating some of stuff with diet. And so I asked the hospital, hey, man, I want to one day a week where I just talk to patients about diet. No, 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 we don't want you to do that. Then I talked to the people that were on the employee wellness program. I said, can I be part of the employee wellness program? And they kind of blew me off. And then I asked about being on the non-operative bariatric surgery department because they had a, they mm. bought a surgeon in it to cut people open to take their stomachs out. And I said, I want to I want to give advice on how to lose weight without it. And they kept blowing me off of that stuff. And so I started mm. just on my own, just started pressing the diet, pressing the diet, pressing and talking people away from surgery. And so hospital kind of went after me with that. And so it was a long, about a two-year legal battle cost me a lot of money right and then and then eventually you know i, I lost it because they, they just they just outspent me basically because they right. had so much more money you know and then i went to the state and the state said um you know we've got this complaint do you want to contest it it's going to take you a year and a bunch mm -hmm. of money and i said i'm not going to waste any more money on that right they said well let's, we'll let you recertify another way so that's what i'm doing now but from like a mental perspective, I mean, that sounds like that would have been a real kick Man, in the dick. That was, that was like losing a kid. I mean, because you spend, yeah. you know, I spent, you know, decades well, training. and you're also helping people. No, helping people too. But I mean, it was, it was one of those things where I spent most of my life training to do this stuff. And then they're saying, well, we're going to take that away from you. And uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean, it, I was pretty depressed. I mean, I was depressed yeah. about it for a good year and then pissed about it. And yeah. I had these fantasies about caveman days where you just, <laughs> but you can't do that stuff now. So, so yeah. now my, the revenge will be, I'm still helping people. Uh, hopefully I'll get back in that game. But if, if even if I can't, um, my goal is going to be help as many people any way I can through hopefully better nutrition, training, yeah. you know, all, the, all the lifestyle stuff that, that we, we, we in Western medicine don't focus on, or we don't have the capacity or the systems not set up for, you know, we're set up for disease management, not really disease prevention, where we really need to put our effort in. And that's, what's going to change mm. the course of this country. Cause right now we're heading in a pretty yeah. bad direction. That's why I'll put a plug in for that. The war on carbs yeah. is one tool in in the way we're gonna we're gonna hopefully take back you know our you know our, our vitality because we lost it you know we're not I know I know Trump wants to yeah. make America great again but you're not gonna make America great again if everybody's sick and, and disabled and we gotta we gotta hey we gotta, you know what his son is uh, squatting benching and deadlifting so we're oh yeah which one we're uh, we're getting somewhere I think it's Donald Jr. right. Okay. Yeah, he's squatting, benching, deadlifting. Uh, I think he was squatting around three fifteen or something like that. He's, he's moving around some so weight. He said he's got politician. He's yeah, got yeah. some crappy knees or something like yeah. that, and uh, so he hit us up for some strong sleeves and stuff <laughs> yeah, like really? that. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I yeah. Have to tell him to get on the steak diet and see what he does. Tell him to get his dad on the steak diet. That'd be that would be cool. Uh, yeah, I tried it. That it didn't go very far. <laughs> you know, here's here's an interesting. So the the president of Mongolia. Is a guy who's just jacked. I don't know if mm -hmm. you know, but he's he's a guy that probably is on a steak diet, but he's he's pretty solid there. Oh, is that him there deadlifting? Yeah, that's him right there. Oh, that's not bad. Oh, Donald Trump Jr. He so looks like got, he's kind he's of a young guy. Blue, three blues and maybe a twenty five. It looks like three sixty five, maybe yeah. or something, something like that. Hey, he's giving it. Rounded. Yeah, he's a little rounded, but that's giving it all he's got. He's doing, and he's I like he's doing conventional. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, who knows? Three if, tips to, to, you know, if we say bad stuff about it, who knows what will happen? Does he us. say three tips to better deadlift by by uh, uh, I'll find it, but I don't, I'm not sure. You got to have him on the podcast. He'll teach you how to deadlift. <laughs> isn't that isn't that funny? I mean, there's got to be some sort of security breach of the uh, president's son. Even just having a YouTube channel, I would imagine, like any of it, right? It's just is that is that recent or if that's recent? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, so like, you know, when you were going through that, that time period, were you still, you know, where you were, um, uh, dismissed from your, your job, you know, it, it sucks cause you spent 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, uh, honing the skill. You have this great skill and now you can't use it. Um, were you still training at the time? Still lifting at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kept tra training. I mean, I've, I've been a meathead since I've been yeah. 10 years old. I mean, that's never going to stop. That's, you know, you identify, you know, what you do is one thing, but who you are is something else. And I've yeah. always been, you know, basically a meathead at heart. You know, How'd you I get mean? started? You know, I just, you know, I remember I watched, this is, you know, you know Bruce Jenner, who's now Caitlyn Jenner. I remember <laughs> I was inspired by him in the Olympics in like 76, when, I think it was 76 yeah. when he did the Olympics, when he won the decathlon. I think everybody was inspired by and him. And so I thought as a kid, amazing. you know, as a kid, I, I made my own. People that uh, grew up in that time me. frame. That's just, that's what I did. Yeah, I'm going to do that same workout today. Oh, that's when you used to work out. Oh no, this is no, a couple weeks ago. Yes, that's two days ago. Oh, okay. That's just four or five, but. But I did that, and I and I Smokey, we got to work on this guy's technique. Look at this guy. Yeah, I know. I'm terrible. Yeah, strong hand. We got huge hands. He's a huge guy. Yeah, I mean, why? Well, I'm a I'm, I'm a proponent of the hook grip for that. I think it's a more efficient way to pull. But uh, so you started at a young age. Yeah, so I started about ten organizing the neighbor, neighborhood Olympics, and then I just just started like oh, exercise. Cool. Then I was a cross country runner. Wow. I mean, you know, I was like 140 pounds at six <laughs> one, skinny guy. Then I got into lifting about. 13, 14 years yeah. of age, you know, muscle and fitness and all the, yeah, absolutely. All the, you know, all the, all the body, Lily Haney and all those guys. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I can remember all the old, old bodybuilders try to do that stuff. I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm never, I'm tall, tall, skinny. Guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to be a bodybuilder, but did that stuff. And then I got into, uh, playing sports, got into rugby. Mm -hmm. I played at a high level rugby, went down to New Zealand. I uh, went back into powerlifting. You know, I think I pulled seven, I, went, I was 26 the first time I pulled 700. Mm -hmm. And then I maintained a 700 pound deadlift for, until I was about 43. So I did that for all those years. I never was never a great bencher or squatter. I think I was like a six fifty squatter, four hundred pound yeah. bencher. But that was single ply stuff back, you know, back in the day. And then I switched over to uh, throwing the Highland Games because I know you have Matt out here all the time. Mm -hmm. So I did that for about five years. Yeah, and, Matt and Andy Vincent. Yeah, Matt Andy's a big boy too. Andy's, Shit, Andy's yeah. huge. Yeah, but I, I, I so I ran with those guys. You know, I was in the old guy class, but I, ended, I won won the old guy world championship in that. And then I switched the old to guy world championships. Well, you know, like that masters. sounds so good. Well, that's masters. That know, sounds it's, great. It's honest, you know, but I, you know, but I, you know, but I mean, it's so cool. The I mean, old guy world championships. You, you win go. like this big ass cane. Well, you went, yeah. You like, was, I won this year. I'll be back. It's like, being, it's like being the tallest midget or something like that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, whatever. The old guy world championships. That's great. Well, like some people call it masters. I'm going to get you a shirt that says that. <laughs> old guy world champion. Champion old gosh. I'm not that old yet, but I'm, you know, I. And then I then I took up this indoor rowing stuff, and so now now my now it's been uh, for the last three years. Now I'm, you're really fishing for records. Well, yeah, but I mean it's like I broke a world record on that. On that I broke that world record about 19 times on the concept too. Which you is, knocked my brother off the damn rower yeah, last time. He fell time. off. Yeah, well, I started teaching. <laughs> oh, him about now pole. you're saying he fell off. I think you knocked yeah, him I off. I, you, I gave him a little push. I think, yeah, you yeah, gave him a little. Shot. And so yeah, that, he needs that. Yeah, but no, I think I like I was saying, I, I made I'm, I'm I'm probably gonna do some training to get my deadlift back up, see if I can't can't pull seven hundred again, which would be I think that would be a testament to the meat yeah. diet as a, as a as a as a strength training thing. Right. Yeah, so we'll see. 
Are you abstaining from eating foods to maybe in some effort, like prove people wrong? Or does this just feel right to you, period? Um, you know, I think the, 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 the latter more than the former. You know, I, I want, I do feel good. I mean, I, I, I have no, my only goal is to be as healthy, strong, fast, as competitive as possible. If I thought eating, eating uh, kale would make me a better deadlifter and a stronger athlete, I would definitely do that. I just don't think it does. And the I know old kale I, diet. Well, you know, but anyway, kale is kind of gross anyway. But I can't believe people actually thought we would want to eat that stuff. That's crazy. Has anybody ever actually tasted it? You know, you know, you know, back in the old days, you know, you would have had a guy, the guy, probably the guy who pissed everybody off. He's like the plant taster. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, you're in there, you know, you got grok. You say, hey, dude, you go, go eat that berry, see if it kills you or not. And that, that's probably the guy that no one liked. But, you know, I don't know who, which guy decided kale tasted good. I yeah. Mean, we should all eat it as humans. I mean, it's just Hey, crazy. you come across something that doesn't smell good and you come across something <laughs> that doesn't taste good. What it's do you left be, to do, guys? Yeah, it's yeah. got to be healthy for us. You know, it's like, that's what that's why I tell you. Eat your vegetables. They're good for you. Why do they taste so bad? That's because they're good for you. That's why they taste so bad. You know, it's kind of that's everything's got to be the hard way. Well, I yeah. think that is maybe the view, you know, sometimes is that, you know, in life, a lot of times, you know, taking the taking the hard road, taking the longer path, you know, sometimes is is uh, what you think is right. And so I think, you know, maybe when it comes to vegetables, we just think, yeah, it's supposed to take forever to chew this shit up and it's supposed <laughs> to be kind of gross. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, if you look at just on chewing, chimpanzees in the wild, they spend, of their waking hours, they spend 60% of their day chewing. Yeah. I mean, their day is spent chewing 60% of their waking. Can you imagine if humans spent 60% of their day chewing? Sometimes I feel that way when I'm well, following your diet. Well, eating, but he's, eating, eating these to, giant pieces of ribeye. You have to work on your efficiency, but no. But it, yeah, you're fast. I saw you oh, like, I, can, uh, yeah, I, can put I went down. to use the restroom and you scarfed down like four pieces of meat when you're at my house. <laughs> That's right. I had three pounds of steak. When you yeah, you did. You like inhaled it through your nose. I don't mess around. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you could like chimpanzees are at six, 60% of their day. Humans or early humans were considered at four percent of, of the chewing they could tell that from jaw structure so what were early humans chewing on they weren't chewing on a lot of plant material they're chewing on something they could eat and swallow Smokey spends 80 percent of his day with his mouth mouth open 80 percent 80 percent got a question yeah justified journey again on the uh, youtube live chat uh he's wondering if you're concerned at all with like hormones and stuff that are being pumped into cows um, yeah, so all, you know, how do you think on, we got so jacked over here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah I want more hormones. No, uh, always cheating. No, there, there is a, there's a little misconception about that because yes, some hormones are implanted in cows, you know, typically it's testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, and there's something called xeranol and one other I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, Trend. <laughs> no, it's not trend, but it's, uh, but anyway, it. it should be, but anyway, <laughs> what happens is when we look at a normal cow, a normal cow produces testosterone, estrogen, progesterone to a certain level. It's, it's, in, it's in like nanogram quantities and that's what shows up in the meat, even if it's not been implanted. So when you implant those animals, the hormone concentrations go up just slightly more. So you're still just getting a few nanograms, whether you eat an animal that's been implanted or not. Now, if, you, now if you're really worried about that stuff, then don't drink any dairy or milk because dairy or milk has even more hormones than even an implanted cow. Don't eat eggs because eggs have them in there. Uh, you know, don't eat organ meats because organ meats concentrate those things. So if you're really about real worried about hormones, you know, you should not be eating, you know, all those things, you know, but it's, so it's, it's such a small amount. And then if we want to consider phytoestrogens, which some people think have an estrogenizing effect, there's lots of foods. Bread has them in it. You know, obviously all the soybean oil that we have. Soybean oil is the most, is the most, is the number one oil that, that Americans consume, consume these days. You know, our soybean oil consumption... Uh, vegetable oil consumption is about 8% of the U.S. caloric intake right now. And it used to be zero. 
And that's what wow. some people think is one of these drivers of metabolic disease, right? And obesity and whatever else you want to attribute to that. And so it's, it's, we've had a tremendous increase in vegetable oils. We didn't know, vegetable oils did not exist before about 1910 when they invented Crisco. When they invented Crisco, it was cottonseed oil. Mm. And, you know, I think it was cottonseed oil, but that's when vegetables oils came into the human diet. Mm. And we've been going downhill since then. So there's a lot of people that think vegetable oils in particular are particularly bad. What do you think the main driver of obesity is? I've heard some people, they try to blame it on like the government. I've heard some people try to blame it on like the food pyramid. But when I look around and I see people that are obese, especially when I'm at like the airport or something like that, I don't see people really eating off the food pyramid. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, I will tell you what it's not. It's not meat. It's clearly not meat because everybody's on an all meat diet's getting lean, you know, which is, I think, so you can eliminate that. But I think there's a combination of things. Certainly some people will attribute there's, there's more calories, you know, uh, there's probably a lot of underlying hormonal problems that people are developing underlying inflammation, which kind of drives some of that stuff. And I think, I think it is the food in general. I think the food is the biggest driver of that because, um, you know, it's like people want to blame it on chairs. You know, we were sitting down more. Well, we invented chairs about 3,000 years ago. So it's not like we <laughs> yeah. invented sitting. So people yeah, have been sitting around for a long period of time. Um, I don't think it's so much the activity. I think I think those things contribute. But I think the biggest driver is we're, humans are eating the wrong diet in general. We've been eating the wrong diet as humans for about 10,000 years. And it's only getting worse, you know, as we introduce you know, the 31 flavors and the, you know, the 25 flavors mm, of potato chips so with all the artificial chemicals. Keep talking, keep talking. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's nice to try, you know, if you want to try yeah. the Butterfinger flavored, you know, potato chip. I don't know if they have that now, but they might. You know, they should. Might be a new invention. <laughs> <laughs> so, we need to patent that. We need to patent that. But Shut I mean, you, know, you see how this stuff goes. You, you Now they're making fake flavors of fake flavors. You know, it's like, you know, a fake product that has some, it's like uh, Pop-Tart pop flavored drinks yeah it's like what the hell is that well and it's amazing because even just that first the first time you hear it it sounds exciting to you and you're like wait what am i getting excited about butterfinger's not even a real thing it's just fake butterfinger flavored uh popcorn you're like oh that sounds so good and then you're like oh wait that's not even like that's a fake thing of another fake thing piled onto another fake thing we'll see if we get to the third level fake news uh justin savage wants to know just basically like what would be the first three meals that someone would have trying to convert over to a carnivore diet um, I think, you know, there's a couple ways you can do it. Now, if you want to go hardcore, and a lot of people recommend this because the transition is quicker, you know, because you get through those carb cravings. And so, you know, but I tell people, you know, when I tell people to do this, I tell them to don't worry about calculating stuff right now. Don't worry about, you know, how many macros you're eating. Just enjoy the food. Get the most flavorful thing you know you're going to like, whether it's a ribeye steak, maybe it's a hamburger with bacon and eggs with it, and just maybe put some spices in there, a little bit of cheese, whatever it takes to get you to sort of buy into the to the flavor and then run that for a couple of weeks, you know, maybe a month or two. And then what you can do is start playing with stuff and you'll find that your, nat- your appetite naturally will gravitate you one way or the other. For me, it's, I like steak every meal. If I could eat ribeyes every meal for the rest of my life, I'd probably be just as happy as if I couldn't. So I think it's, uh, you know, you have to sort of, you know, because you're, most people are coming from this background of variety, 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 got to have variety, even though humans have never had variety until the last you know few decades or even hundred years. Uh, so you have to really find whatever you really love, steak, shrimp, make it surf and turf, steak and lobster, if you can afford it. If not, it's a bacon cheeseburger without the bun, whatever, whatever you can do uh, to make it really palate, palate, you know, appetizing to you and do that as long as it takes to get past. Because if you, if you, 
see it as a chore. Oh, I got to eat, you know, dried ground beef again. You know, it's, you're just going to be hard to stick mm -hmm. to that stuff, particularly if you got all these other things in your house temp tempting you. But if you find it, I'm going to make a delicious, because I look for it every meal. I mean, I'm like, I'm going to eat a ribeye. Like this morning, I was at the Black Bear. Yeah. So I tried tip and ribeye. And I was Black like, Bear Diner. Good. Yeah, it was good because Chris showed me that place. It's so good, yeah. Yeah, so I had a little bit of eggs and I had uh, what I had ribeye. And, and uh, I'll, I'll give you guys this tip too, is is if you're hungry, then you're going to crave it more. So if if you're, you know, utilizing some intermittent fasting, I think can be, can be, uh, can help a lot on this particular diet. Um, another couple small tips. Um when you cook, uh, if you cook ground beef, uh, cook it as a hamburger and save it as a hamburger. If you want to mash it up and, and whatever uh, configuration you want later on, it, it'll taste better that way. Uh, if you have it in the fridge as uh, just ground beef, just all smashed up, uh, it'll be like hard and it'll be weird and the fat will be weird on it and it won't be very appetizing. Um, the other thing that I've done and... When we had keto gains on the podcast, he lost nearly 300 pounds. 300 pounds. Yeah. My God, he yeah. Huge. He was big. Yeah. He yeah. was a big, big boy. Yep. He lost but nearly he's only like a buck 50 now, right? Uh, I don't know what he Maybe weighs now. Tyler I Cartwright, I think he probably weighs, oh no, he's probably still about 200 pounds. Louis, so. Is it Louis Villasenor? Oh, it? he's, yeah, no, he's. Because uh, he's a keto games guy. They're, they're, uh, they, I think they run it together. Oh, okay, maybe. the other yeah. guy. I, I like think they run it. Yeah, Tyler Cartwright okay, was gotcha. like five something. Oh, he was, gotcha, he gotcha, was gotcha. big. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he lost about 300 pounds. And when he lost uh, all that weight, I asked him on the show, I was like, how long did that take you? And he said, 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, I went from 330 to the, you know, I'm going down to 230 pounds. And somebody asked me recently how long it took. And it's take, taken several years because it was, that was at my heaviest point. My point is, is what the good doctor just told you right here was that he said, hey, you know, try, try it for a month. You know, I, I think that we're so quick to give up on stuff. We try something for two or three days and you're like, oh my God, I went to the gym. I went to deadlift and I nearly blacked out. Well, yeah, you nearly blacked out. You, you've you been eating like shit for a long time. This is a huge rude awakening to you. You just implemented no carbs and intermittent fasting uh, all in one shot. And, and now you're not eating and now you're trying to do a 500 pound deadlift. Of course you feel like crap. You're going to have to give this some time you're, and you shouldn't be trying to implement that many things at once. Take it one day at a time. Um, if if you're somebody that is on a heart, high carbohydrate diet, maybe your diet is just really, really shitty. Maybe your diet on a scale of one to 10 is a one or two or three. If that's the case, try to make it a seven, try to make it an eight, try to just, you know, have a day where you don't eat carbs. Um, and then try to string together a couple days where you don't eat carbs. Try to get rid of, if you have a lot of soda, if you have a lot of stuff like that in your diet, try getting rid of some of those things. Um, some things that I've done uh, at night, because that's usually where my cravings come from, and I think most people have that too. Um, protein shakes have helped, uh, even though they're not really truly part of a carnivore diet. I, I also kind of consider some of these things as a little bit of cheats. I know it's like being like super strict, um, but it's not really the reason why you do a ketogenic diet. It's not the reason why you do a paleo diet. You don't do a paleo diet to eat a paleo donut. You do a paleo diet to eat paleolithic, you know, so, um, but having like an omelet or something at night, it was something that helped me quite a bit, uh, you know, just 
cooking up uh, some eggs, bacon, cheese, and not caring about how many eggs you make, not caring about how much butter you throw on it, not caring about how much uh, cheese you use, all these things, just trying to load up and uh, really having something savory uh, at night because that's where a lot of people's cravings come from. Yeah, I think, I think again, particularly during the tr- transition phase, the biggest difficulty people have is um you know getting past this because a lot of people come from a ketogenic background or another background where they're counting stuff is getting that out of your mind for a while and just eating to satisfaction and i tell people eat like it's your job in the beginning because that's what's going to get you through you know every time you even think about craving some mouth shove a piece of bacon in your mouth shove a steak in your mouth have have stuff on hand so that if you have those cravings you can just you can satiate that with a with a nice piece of steak or something like that or hamburger whatever hamburger patty and then you're going to get through that stuff. But, you know, you should, you know, at the beginning, you shouldn't worry about, you know, how much am I going to restrict? Because what you're trying to do, again, I, I tend to tell people this is about nourishment. It's not about any particular uh, weight loss or body composition goal. It's the first thing is about because most people out there are undernourished, whether they're too thin or obese, they're undernourished. Mm. And, you know, obesity is a problem with under is malnourishment. It's not necessarily... Uh, it's not necessarily that they haven't had enough calories, but they haven't had enough true nutrition. And so a lot of people have to, they've dug themselves a deep hole. And a lot of times it takes a lot of nutrition to, yeah. to restore that. You know, if you look at people. I've never heard anybody say it quite that way, but that actually makes a lot of sense. And a, a lot of these people that are having uh, a huge surplus of calories every day and uh, not expending that energy at all um, are deficient in vitamin D and calcium and A and B and C, right? Right. So what they're doing is, you know, their, their body is asking them for something and they're not giving it to them. They're giving them calories and a little bit of sugar, a little you know, a little bit of, you know, wheat and stuff like that's low in, low in nutrition. And so what happens is you're constantly hungry and you're constantly just re-trying to feed the beast because, of, you know, you keep asking for that. So when you start you're, giving you're, yourself- Your brain kind of, is telling you yeah. Doritos and your body's saying something different. Right? Your, body, your, your body is saying, I need magnesium or I need protein. Yeah, yeah. And you're saying, here, here's carbohydrate. And so <laughs> what happens is you fill up on calories, you get obese, but you never get nourished. And so that's why we see people- that are even obese that have frail bones. I mean, you can have operate on these people. You know, you you cut through all these layers of fat, you get down to the bone, and the bone is like you can pick, you stick your finger right through their bone because it's so wow. weak. And that's what's happening. These people are losing all this nutrition from their body. And as they get older, they start to auto-cannibalize themselves. And that's why their brains will shrink, their kidneys will shrink, their liver will shrink, their skin will shrink, their muscles will shrink because there's no nourishment. And so what happens is we see people that, do a diet that's animal protein heavy and they they hang on to the muscle they hang on to their bone density you know they there's more functional didn't people. you say we used to be more dense we used to be yeah interestingly you know like look, tolerance yeah too, right? if, you, if you look at uh the 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 uh, fossil records from agriculture which started 10 12 000 years ago and the and the fossils from maybe 20 30 000 years ago humans 20 000 years ago were about six inches taller our bones were much denser our muscle attachments were much bigger and our brains were about 200 cc's bigger so we were smarter bigger stronger and faster and we and since we adopted agriculture we become weaker and so we we might have had a bunch of brian shaw's walking around the earth you know uh, eating mammoths you know? that would be, that'd be yeah. scary that'd well, be, i mean that could have been be terrifying. Were, yeah no exactly yeah uh uncle Duderino, that's <laughs> the most unique name so far uh would you recommend this diet for somebody uh, who just had gastric sleeve surgery? Uh, yeah, so I'm aware of a number of patients that have had either gastric sleeves or other types of gastric bypasses that have done this. You know, the problem with a gastric sleeve diet is your, your capacity to eat 
a big meal is diminished. And so the people that have successfully done this, and there are a lot of them that have done that in that situation, they they tend to eat smaller portions. If you probably real, if you probably go back to your your diet that the gastric bypass doctor recommended you to do prior to surgery to shrink your liver, he puts you on a high protein, low fat, uh, or high protein diet. Most likely, that's what they usually do for gastric bypass: a low carb, high protein diet, which is kind of what this is. You know, it's not super high protein, but there's plenty of protein in the diet, and so. Um, you ha- you can do that, but you just have to probably get by with more frequent, smaller feeds just because your, your stomach capacity is now shrunk. So there are a lot of people that are doing this. If you go to World Carnivore Tribe on Facebook, you can talk to people directly that have had that experience and they can tell you how they, they manage that. It's really become a tribe. It is. We've got, you know, we just started and we've got six some thousand people oh, in a, a month or two. And so we're, we're, we're getting about a hundred people every day signing up. So that's awesome. It's pretty cool. You know, my son, uh, the other day he went to the dentist, you know, and I, it got me thinking, I was like, yeah, you, you know, you go to the dentist, um, from the time you're a kid you go to the dentist, you know, like twice a year. That's just what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I was like, Hey, I was like, when, when have you gone to the, just like regular doctor, you know? And I, I knew the answer obviously, but he's like, never really. I was like, why, why is that? He's like, I don't know. And we, you know, he and I, it's kind of funny because he's 14, but we get in like these debates and uh, he, he's political and stuff. And so I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's uh, in our best interest to keep people sick and to have them play this guessing game and have them not understand what's going on with their body and have them uh, get addicted to some of these shitty foods and, and this and that. And normally he always plays the other side. Normally he'll come, especially when it comes to like health, like he just, you know, he wants to do, be the opposite of dad all the time. It's just kind of funny. But uh, in this case, he was like, he's like, I, maybe he's like, maybe you're right. Cause I can't think of another reason. He's like, why do you go to the dentist twice a year, but you don't see a regular doctor. You, the only time you see a regular doctor is when you are, yeah, Sick. I mean, I mean, uh, and and it's not just to sort of cast any conspiracies here because most physicians are hardworking, caring people. They really want to do the best they can. The system is kind of not set up that well to prevent people from getting sick. It's it's good for taking care of sick people, and the healthcare system requires sick people to stay afloat. You know, we have to have so many people running through the operating room, with running through the cath lab. To, 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 to turn on the light switches. And so if there's not sick people there, the hospitals will close. And that's, that's the sad reality of the thing. Um, you know, it's, there are people that make profit on that undoubtedly. You know, there's, there's, there's drug companies that, you know, if, if no one's sick, no one's going to buy their drugs, obviously. And there are food manufacturer companies that probably, uh, you know, they're not blameless in this as well. I mean, they make the food that make people sick. And yeah. so, there's some profit motive there. I don't know if it's it's just business. I mean, yeah. if you're if you're in a business and you don't really care, if you're only if your only concern is how much money can I make, you know, I'll give you you know we're going to make uh, Purina human chow. You know, that's what we're going to. You right. know, that's where we're going to. And we don't care as long as the just, people just get imagine dollars. though if you you know if you went to the doctor from the time you're a kid and you just went every, at least every year, at least once a year. And you went when you're 10, you went when you're 11, they're checking your body weight. They're kind of seeing a normal trend of your body weight going, going up. Well, when you're 12 and you go in and you gained, you know, maybe uh, double the amount of weight that you should have gained, uh, what they typically see, then they might say, hey, well, what's going on? Maybe they find out that your parents got divorced. So they find out that something happened or you got hurt playing a sport. You no longer play the sport anymore. And then somebody at that point can at least 
you know, give some education either, either to the parent or to the kid or however it would work. But you think that you would be able to prevent uh, a lot of what we're seeing right now, because the only way to really, truly uh, get this stuff uh reversed is to have it not ever happen in the first place yeah the best health insurance is not getting sick i mean that's that's just the bottom line but i mean you know, like i said i know chris kresser i don't know if you were chris kresser yeah, he's absolutely. talked about he has a book on his i haven't read his book but we share a similar philosophy i don't know? read books either we should I just have read them. yeah i mean i like to look at they got pictures you know i like i like the picture on your book there so i'll look at your pictures maybe shirtless sweaty pictures <laughs> but of a um, man holding a gun yeah, with donuts there you go <laughs> but you know if you look at you know what we should be doing what we do i mean we train these armies of people to be radiology techs and lab techs and you know nursing assistants designed to take care of sick people and we, we should put the same amount of effort and we could have an army of prevention specialists mm -hmm. you know people that are trained to go into people's homes and show them how to eat correctly maybe show them how to deadlift you know whatever you know you can make whatever exercise you want i can Tell picture them. you with your kit and you have like a big thing of steak you're like yeah. quick get this guy some meat yeah, a steak and a kettlebell to <laughs> for a for a for a uh for a, uh, uh, you know, a house call. But I mean, I think that's, that is something that we could do if we wanted to put them, put the emphasis there. And that's how we would probably, you know, turn the country around is from a health standpoint. But again, the will has to be there. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't want that. You know, you go and they just want, just give me the pill, give me the shot. And that sort of mentality is still out there too. So it's, it's an uphill battle. I think it's a, a battle worth fighting. And I think, again, I'll point to the point of that social media is reaching more people than, you know, a lot of these big institutions are. And so we've got, yeah, know, that was something you mentioned to me, which I thought was, you know, kind of, was kind of eye opening to me. You're like, oh man, you know, you're, you're reaching a lot more people than uh, that person that's got the research paper on it or whatever, either the person at uh, Stanford who's studying it or whatever. And I just never even, I never even really looked well, at I mean, things that way. But think about it, even as a, as, a, as a career surgeon, you know, 20 years of operating, I only impacted X amount of people. Mm -hmm. You get on social media and you've got, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of followers. Right. You can reach those people in, in a day, what would take right. me 10 years to do. And so with that amount of power, if you're getting the right information and you're seeing it already, you're seeing the fruits of, the, of the, just a little bit of yeah. effort that, that people are coming back and saying, wait a minute, my life has changed. I'm healthier. And most of those people, once they discover the war on carbs and they experience right. it, it's pretty rare for them to go back. Most people, once they learn, you know, or, or what carnivore diet, they learn, okay, this is how I'm healthy. They know how to do it. And they rarely go back to the really crappy stuff. Some people do, but most people- You'll have to come to one of these uh, trade shows with us one of these days, yeah, like maybe, uh, yeah. LA Fit Expo or yeah. something like that. You'd have a lot of people coming up to you telling you how much how much you've helped improve their lives. Yeah, I mean, I get pretty it Pretty powerful stuff. Well, I mean, I get on social media, yeah. you know, you get the messages all the time, which kind of gets, you, know, you got a person that handles your social media, <laughs> I don't. So, you know, try to answer as many questions as you can or do right. videos to try to answer the common questions. But I do that and it's very rewarding. That's what keeps me- wanting to do this is, is just, you know, the, the stories I'm getting. And that's what I'm trying to, again, this is the one thing that people kind of dismiss this stuff. They say, well, it's just an anecdote. Well, I will tell you, stories are extremely, extremely powerful, yeah. you know, because people can re relate to that. It's not some research paper that nobody bothers to read anyway, or, or some guy in a white coat telling you, this is what you got to do because of this study, which you don't understand really well. And, but, but when you hear somebody that you can relate to, somebody's in the exact same situation as you and they lost weight, they got rid of their arthritis, their gout went away, you know, their diabetes went away. They're like, I'm going to try that. And, and that's what's happening. That's why stories are so powerful. That's why I'm trying to meetheels.com, bringing all these stories together. And the more we do that, the more people are going to be affected. 
when it comes to like Highland Games or strength athletes, <clears throat> you know, Matt Vincent used to be about 300 pounds. You yourself used to be 300 pounds in competitive days. I was fat as fuck in my competitive days, just being as big as I possibly could to handle the most amount of weight. And we all recognize that you can, uh, that there are athletes that can be smaller and, and they can lift more weight. There are athletes that can get there through different means and it can create leverage uh, <laughs> simply just by just being big and by being jacked. Somebody like, uh, uh, Stan Rhino efforting, you know, who, who's competed at 275 pounds, probably had like 22 inch arms. So he was able to um, make up a lot of ground just by, just by having large muscles, which, which gave him a lot of the support uh, that he needed, but he certainly didn't do any of that. He didn't break any of those world records uh, on a, on a low carb or no carb diet. Um, do you think that you would have been able to perform at the level you're able to perform at uh, when you were a Highland games athlete? Uh, doing the current diet that you're on? You know, I, I, I would only have to speculate. I think, you know, based on what I'm seeing in the gym right now, I'm pretty close, you know, so I think I would probably be, you know, right around, because I did that, you know, I, my last year Highland Games, I was, pre, I, I was pretty lean. I dropped down from 280 mm. to 230. And I was throwing pretty close to the same distances. Wow. And so, um, you know, again, there's, you know, there is something to do with, like, right. you know, strongman being big as you can possibly be counterweights heavier, yeah. and stuff like that. And certainly with powerlifting, if you're going to be six, five and you're going to squat. I guess a lot, the real question is, is there a reason to, you know, so like, uh, you know, what, what would the, what would the reason for it being like, uh, if, if I can bench press 400 pounds and I, and I'm on a diet, a mixed diet of some meat and some carbohydrates and I'm, and I'm not unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Is there any reason for me to change over to a diet like this or, or should just keep going on the path that's already working? Well, I think it's individual. I mean, I think you can try it and see how it does because a lot of people are noticing recovery and strength going up pretty, pretty significantly on this stuff. Now, again, if you're healthy and again, you have to figure out how do I know if I'm healthy or not. Mm. Young guys, it's hard to tell because they don't really have much going on. You know, they've got this physiologic reserve and so they may not need to. Uh, you know, there's gonna, there's, there's people out here that are testing if they're younger and we're going right. to see, and I don't know the answer yet. No, I don't know. It may take a few years to find that stuff out. Um, but you know, certainly, like I said, if you, if you think about, is there a reason for it? Maybe career longevity, you know, if, if right. you want to be a flash in the pan, compete for a year or two, do, do whatever, you know, max out your total and, and then walk away. <laughs> right, right. That's fine. But I mean, if you say, I want to, this is something I enjoy, I might want to do it for 10, 20, 30 years or whatever, any kind of sport, then there may be some advantage to that. Right. And it makes sense to me, like, uh, even when I was competing, even when I was, uh, at my heaviest, I did always try to have, I did always try to carry the most amount of muscle that I could. I also tried to, after most competitions, there was a point where I got kind of too addicted to some of the yummy foods I was eating, <laughs> uh, to where it was too hard. But I tried to, after every competition that I ever did, I tried to lose about 20 pounds, uh, just in recognition of, Hey, like, you know, it's not that healthy to do this. Uh, and then. Also, you know, when your health is compromised, your strength will be compromised. Now, a lot of people had tons of questions about the blood work and they wanted to know, people kept asking me about my blood work. People kept asking you about your blood work. What were some of the things that you saw with, uh, with your blood work? Yeah. So I, I, in fact, if people want a comprehensive listen with, uh, I just did a podcast with Rob Wolf came out today in fact so that, that that's up there but i mean for me you know so some of the things that people talk about about meat you know they say it's highly inflammatory so when i got my inflammatory markers my c-reactive protein they were close to zero bottomed out so i didn't have any inflammation the other thing people saw 
was that, you know, it can cause kidney damage. Well, I looked at my kidney, my renal numbers were all normal. No problems with my kidneys. The other thing people say is it's damaging to your liver. Well, my liver enzymes were all normal. What so, about your cholesterol? Yeah, so my cholesterol. So my cholesterol was, my total cholesterol was kind of just barely mildly elevated on one stack. I did it, I repeated it a couple times. One, it was completely normal. My total cholesterol was 190. And then one cholesterol, one, it was 204. So it's kind of at the top end of normal. My LDL was a little high. It was around 140. Some people say 130. Some people like it below 100. But those things are things that don't really associate well with disease. Some other markers like HDL and triglyceride ratio was very good. My HDL the triglycerides was, are a little bit more yeah, of a marker yeah, of heart yeah, disease, yeah, and, perhaps. And, and insulin resistance. So my triglyceride okay. was really low. It was like fifties. My my HDL was in the forties, but and that's kind of a little on the low side, but it's still considered normal. But my HDL had always been really, really low, like in the twenties and thirties, and so it actually went up. So those things improved. So my overall cholesterol package looks better. And I got some advanced uh, uh, studies, and we looked at some other things like. Uh, uh, particle size and we know that the big particles if, you, if your low density lipoproteins are big and fluffy they tend to be less prone to causing cardiovascular disease and that's how mine were they were big and fluffy mm. uh there's something called lipoprotein a which is another independent marker it's cardiovascular a great word, disease. fluffy i just realized fluffy. it yeah that's an awesome word. you want to describe your girlfriend or yourself <laughs> but i got a little i got a little fluffy <laughs> <laughs> maybe your cat or something like that. But yeah, my lipoprotein A was bottomed out next to nothing. And so that was, I thought, uh, some interesting stuff. You know, the rest of you know, my calcium, all my, my uh, markers of uh, electrolytes were all normal. And some of the interesting things I saw was my testosterone was actually pretty low, which is some people are freaking out about. And one of the things I've seen on this diet- I'm looking a little girly, doc. I am, I know. I'll see how I do in the gym today. <laughs> but some people will say, um, you know, that, that meat and cholesterol will raise your testosterone. And I think that does occur. And I've seen a lot of people's labs that have sent, shown me this and they, their testosterone will go up two, 300 points, which is mm. pretty cool. I think chronically what happens, and, and we see that with our insulin receptor, with the thyroid receptor, with some of the other receptors, and even the androgen receptor is you get more sensitive to the hormones. So your body has to produce less to get the same effect because despite Mark calling me girly, I'm still you know, pretty strong guy for a 50 year old and, and, and everything works from a male perspective very well, in fact. Uh, but so my, my testosterone is adequate for what I need it to be. It's sufficient. And I, I don't, you know, it's like I said, I don't need to crank out more testosterone or more thyroid or more insulin yeah. if my, if my sensitivity is really high. So that's something that people have to get their heads wrapped around. Cause you got to understand the physiology. Yeah. The, the, when we talked to Dr. Finney a while back. He was kind of telling me the same yeah, thing. He's yeah. like, you know, people may notice that their thyroid levels may right. decrease, um, right. but your body, uh, will look around and say, Hey, you know, you've been doing a good job losing weight. We don't need to produce as much. And not, not that thyroid only helps right, you lose sure. weight. It helps you with a lot of other things, but, uh, because because you don't need it as much. The body's pretty smart, pretty intelligent and says, hey, we don't need to produce a ton of that. Yeah. The nice thing about that is it's, it's kind of, I'm a pretty extreme example because as a 50 year old guy, most people can't do what I do strength wise, conditioning wise. Uh, and so for me to have low testosterone and still be able to do that shows you that the physiology is more complex and nuanced mm. than we think it is. It's not just what is your testosterone level? And if it's not here, you're going to shrivel up and die. Because uh, that's not not what's happening with me, so I think it's an interesting discussion. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is I am extremely, extremely insulin sensitive, right? So my my insulin sensitivity is extremely high based on everything we calculate. Because my fasting insulin is really, really low. There's ways you calculate. There's something called a, a HOMA IR score. 
And there's another, there's a couple other ones out there. There's three or four that you do, and all of them show me to be extremely insulin sensitive. But despite that, my fasting blood glucose is actually fairly high. Mm. And I think what's happening there- Some of that's really interesting. Is we're yeah. seeing, well, we're seeing other athletes, I've seen this with other athletes, is what happens is your, your body will make the glucose you need. And because I'm asking a lot, I'm doing all this highly glycolytic mm. work and carrying on carrying quite a bit of muscle mass, that my glucose is being shunted into blood. It's, it's, it's you know- is what I require. And so the interesting thing to, to further ferret this out would be to maybe look at where it's being deposited. Because my thought here is that, you know, it's maintaining enough in the glucose in the, in the blood so that when I call on it to, to exercise, and we see that with athletes, sometimes when athletes, even when they think about exercising, their blood glucose will go up. Athletes, when they wake up in the morning, their blood glucose go up. So just because I'm pushing so hard in the gym, you know, my blood glucose has to be what it, what the demands are asking of it. And so it, the other thing is because I'm fat adapted from not eating carbohydrates, I'm probably getting the best of both worlds. And this may be one of the reasons why I can do these highly glycolytic things and break world records on the rowing machines, mm -hmm. which traditionally are considered glycolytic sports, despite the fact that I'm taking basically no carbohydrates. So I think it's interesting. It's, it's, it's very different to what diabetic pathophysiology is. Because if you go to a regular doctor and he sees a fasting blood glucose over 100, they're going to say, well, maybe you're pre-diabetic. But if you look at the insulin and you see why you're really, really insulin sensitive, then you have to, again, it's nuanced physiology and you have to understand the physiology. Uh, and many people don't. And that's, a, that's an interesting thing. So this, this should bring up some interesting discussion mm. in the world of people that do this stuff. And, and blood work also too, is just a snapshot, right? Like I got three different uh, blood results there um, from uh, spanning uh, how long, almost a year or something like that, or eight months or so. And uh, you know, my, it's weird because my my first test was pretty bad. My second one was pretty good. Once I once I started going keto, once I started dropping a little, a lot, you know, quite a bit of weight, and then the third one, um, you know, some of the markers of inflammation and stuff were uh, a little higher. But there are some uh, there are some things that happened along the way uh, with that last testing. Uh, I did tear a bicep. I did <laughs> I did tear a calf muscle, uh, and I also worked out really hard uh, before I got that blood work done. So. Could be part of the reason why some of the C-reactive proteins higher and some. Yeah, of these I mean, things. I mean, your labs are very, very similar to my. What mine in a lot of ways, you're extremely insulin sensitive. Your fasting insulin uh, glucose is eighty-five. I think your insulin is around two, so extremely insulin sensitive. So those are all. Very, what does that mean? So it just means that your your body. You know, when we talk about diabetes, we talk about insulin resistance. So what mm -hmm. happens is your body's ability to interact with insulin is compromised. So your body has to put up more and more and more and more and more insulin. And so right. that has a negative effect on the body long-term. And so what happens is initially when diabetes occurs, your insulin levels go up, 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 up to keep the blood glucose levels low. And then eventually it can't keep up anymore. And your, 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 your pancreas is running so hot mm. to produce all this insulin that eventually it kind of, burns out and then the, then the glucose starts to rise over a period of right. time. So you're very insulin sensitive. So that means you're at very low risk for diabetes, which is good, which also means you're at very low risk for heart disease. So those mm -hmm. things are very good. Uh, you know, your C-reactive protein was up for the same reasons you talked about. You know, you can change your C-reactive. It's, it's considered an acute phase reactant. So uh, very acute things can change it dramatically. Getting an illness, having an injury, or a hard training session can bump that. So again, even your cholesterol numbers can change dramatically over a period of just a few days. You know, there's right. an interesting guy named Dave Feldman who showed that he can change his cholesterol numbers a hundred points in a week, mm. which is just amazing. I mean, right. that's, that's, that, that changes everything. You know, the rest of your labs, you know, are, are all pretty unremarkable, quite honestly. I mean, you think 
you know, I, th- I know that Stan looked at these, Stan Efferding looked at these, and he commented on your thyroid a little bit. And I think that's, I think the main thing with that, yeah, your insulin was flagged as low, which is a good thing. It was two, 2.6, mine was 2.6 and yours is 2.5. Yeah. So you beat me on insulin, which is a good job. But he commented on your iron, your iron, uh, your iodine being a little low. And I think one of those things is that there's another thing, as we know what, what, what Steve Finney said, you know, you probably use less thyroid hormone, you need less mm-hmm. thyroid hormone, so you don't need quite as much iodine. So that may right. be why that, that's occurring. So, Well, uh, all these numbers um, are all of what we know is is so skewed um, because uh, a lot of times it's tested in people that are unhealthy. When it comes to even supplementation, somebody might say like, oh, you need, you know, tons of vitamin C or tons of like, you know, there was a big craze about vitamin D. Everybody got all fired up and excited about vitamin D. And then uh, just like with anything else, it's like, oh, pump the brakes. We don't really know. We're not really sure. Gut microbiome, right? We're looking at all these things. And if we, if we probably just started to kind of look back and think, you know, what, what are some things that we can agree on that, that we can eat? That's where things start to get a little confusing sometimes because one person will say this is healthy. Another person will say it's not healthy. And then a lot of people just put their arms up and they're like, I'm out. Yeah. The problem is, you know, we get all this sort of little snippets of data. You know, we learn a little bit about vitamin D and all of a sudden everybody's got to be supplementing vitamin D with their gills. And then we find out, well, it didn't really work with the shit. So, you know, so we get all these things where we do it now it's a microbiome and, and next year it's going to be something different. So we have all these little bits of information and people go crazy and they, they make these big proclamations and supplements are developed and people take this stuff and it doesn't really make much difference. And so what I think we can agree on, you know, again, these lab tests, many of the reference values were determined on you know, unhealthy populations eating a bunch of carbohydrate, arguably, you know, we don't know. Low carb populations are completely different metabolism, probably have different requirements, uh, mm. you know, and different lab values. So we have to, you know, evolve to understand that. But, you know, the thing is that, uh, um, I forget. What are, what are some <laughs> of the things that we should be looking out for? You know, like, um, like when you're doing a carnivorous diet or if somebody's trying a low carb diet, like, you know, what's something that we, we do need to pay attention to? Is there a supplement that we may need? Is there something that we should be yeah, really I mean, watching? I, I think some people will find, uh, you know, particularly electrolytes may be helpful because some people, their electrolytes will shift quite a bit. We see that on any kind of low carb diet. I'll just warn everybody right now. If you, if you're doing a keto diet and been doing it for a while, um, you, you really do need to pay attention to what he just said. You need to pay attention to your electrolytes, but if you're going to eat carbohydrates, if for some reason you're coming off the rails and you're going to eat carbohydrates, then you really have to pay attention because the cramps that you can get from that can be fucking vicious because the carbohydrates are going to uh, take in, they're going to require some water as well. And it can kind of further in some weird way, dehydrate your body. I don't know if I'm saying all this correct, but all I know is you can get some really crazy cramps that way. So be on the lookout. Dude, I've been trying to figure out why I'm cramping up so bad. It's because I had, I had a, I had a big bucket of fries the other day. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm dying so over vegetable here. Oil. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's anytime you're, you're playing with your electrolytes, shifting either going low carb or going, re- reintroducing carbs, there's going to be there's going to be swings in fluids and electrolytes. And so that may result in cramping. It may result in uh, uh, digestive type changes. There's a whole bunch of things in electrolytes, you know, cardiac function a little bit. You might, mm. some people have palpitations. Uh, so there's a lot of things, you know, brain function, all those things depend upon electrolytes. And so those things can happen. Um, you know, some people will argue that vitamin D may be beneficial to people that uh, live in colder areas where they don't get much sunlight. I think that's controversial. I think there's some people out there that say that that may or may not be necessary. Your body's going to adapt to whatever it's thrown at it. Well, right? the bottom I mean, line almost. is, and this is the bottom line, can you look at any of these numbers and you look at a lab sheet, and but what you really have to do is look at the person. And I think that's the biggest message I want to get out of here. If you're leaner, 
if you're stronger, if you're getting stronger, if your, you know, your pecker works, if, you know, if your, uh, you know, if your joints stop hurting, if your digestion's great, your skin's getting better, your mood is getting better, your labs have such a small, you know, change on that, you know, because anyway, even if we look at like associational studies, you know, we know the people that are leaner, that have small waist to height ratios are going to have less chance to get cancer, mm -hmm. less chance to get diabetes and heart disease. So all these markers that they're not controversial at all. People know if you got a big beer belly, you're at risk for dementia, you're at risk for cardiovascular disease, you're, you're at risk Your for... dick might not work as well. Exactly. Those things keep going back that, I mean, those things, that, that goes up to you know, <laughs> cardiovascular status. But, so all those things are not controversial. What's, what is controversial is how we interpret these lab values and in what context mm -hmm. we interpret them in. And so a lot of people get hung up and they say, I got to see what's going on under the hood by looking at my lab values. Well, I'm telling you that your lab values are really sometimes difficult to interpret for a lot of people. And there's a lot of- Well, you learned much from yours, did you? Um, you know, I was there anything I, that surprised well, I mean, you? Not really. I mean, I understood why that happened. I mean, I was kind of thought, you know, because most, I was a little bit interested to see that my testosterone was low, but it didn't bother me because I, I went on a show, a podcast. It's kind of a weird thing with testosterone because you think, you know, a guy with like a deep voice or big muscles or a beard or whatever, like you kind of associate these things and none of that necessarily means anything. Well, right? I mean, testosterone has, a, you, you need testesterone for that. The question is how much and right. how sensitive are you to it? If you're and real, what's your blood going to show? Too, right. you it's going to show, you how, show you how much testosterone is in your blood at that moment but the more important aspect is what is receptor uh hormone reaction you know mm -hmm. interaction and if that's happening sufficiently then you may have big muscles and strong in a deep voice yeah. uh despite having you know not a super high level of testosterone so it's kind of uh uh you know it's your not muscles so recept receptors have uh combined with uh periwinkle is that what happened? <laughs> now, you know, one thing that's uh, that's also lost in a lot of this when we talk about nutrition is people want to look at, you know, right away they want to throw their arms up and say, you need to get blood work, you need to get blood work. Uh, well, no one ever gets blood work done under normal circumstances, like just regular people. They never get it done who roll through in and out Burger all day long. But one thing that's... Uh, no, no offense, Andrew. Sorry. Oh, none taken. <laughs> um, one thing that's lost in all this, and uh, I think I, I've gotten lost in this myself before, when you're trying to uh, be healthier, and, and in a lot of cases, when we're trying to lose weight, sometimes we get too into losing weight, and we end up uh, hurting our performance uh, when it comes to training. And I think that training is still a very big part of the picture. And if you can't perform in the gym and if your performance uh, in your training sessions is suffering, uh, then all of your, all of the things that you're going for are going to suffer somewhat. Yeah. I mean, the point about, you know, being obsessed with body composition, because there's a point, you know, you can talk to any competitive bodybuilder when they get down to competition, body weight, you know, body fat, and they don't feel very good. It's not a healthy right. place to be, you know, walking around at four or 5% body fat for any length of time, Smoky. you know, is going to suck. I mean, it's just, you just can't maintain it. So if you're at a healthy body weight and we can argue based on the sport, you know, say we're 10, 12% for most guys and eight, nine, 10, 12%. Yeah. Most guys can sustain that. And that's a pretty healthy you know, position to be in, but people that start to really try to, you know, if, if they're, if for a contest, great, if that's your sport, that's great. But don't pretend that's where you got to be all the time to be healthy. Most people that have done this more than once will, yeah. will know that, you know, it's just pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty self-evident, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, how do I determine if I'm healthy? How do I t determine how long I'm going to live? You don't know. I mean, I could walk out tomorrow yeah. and get hit by a bus. The vegans would blame it on meat, of course, <laughs> but you know, 
you don't it's really know. It's that ribeye I told yeah, you. The ribeye made you dizzy and you fell in front of the bus is what happened. But, you know, the best thing you can do, in my view, is get as healthy as you think you can be. Get as strong, as lean, uh, in a, within a reasonable amount. You know, fix your joint pain, fix your skin, fix your digestion, fix your mental health. Because mental health is a huge part of this equation for uh, diet. Diet plays a huge role in mental health. And if all those things are as good as they can be, just maintain that as long as possible. Do what you're doing to maintain that. Make changes as you need to adjust those things. And not only are you going to likely live longer, but you're going to enjoy life a lot more. And I think that's the, the important message. Guys, we uh, we captured uh, Sean uh, lifting here last time at Super Training. We're going to capture more of that today. Um, he lifts in a very explosive manner. Damn, <laughs> put those guns away. He lifts in a very explosive manner. And last time he was here, um, he mentioned something to me that I thought was pretty cool. Um, he he, you felt that uh, speed is uh important it's important to pe for people to do explosive movements you mentioned even just sprinting and you felt that that's important why do you feel it's important well i you know i, I again I, I hate keep the i hate keeping using animal analogy but i think they make sense to people on a, on a very um, very simple way you know if we look at an animal in a wild you know the animals in the wild that are going to get picked off and killed are the slow weaker animals that can't move right. so i think as human beings you know, we went through this jogging craze in the 1960s, 70s. Everybody was, you know, they were, they were skinny, fat people jogging, right? They were slow joggers. So now... Come on, guys. Let's for, stop jogging well, around, well, okay? For the last, for the last you know, 10, 20 years, we've started to, to, Get a to, to appreciate, yourselves. you know, strength training, right? So people are getting stronger. They're getting to the gym. The old, you know, the old grandmas are in there doing some deadlifts finally, which is great. But I think ultimately you also have to put that strength into a, a, a functional thing that you can do. And so I... I call this the 100 meter test you know and i like this analogy because i think as a male you know i'd say let's just arbitrarily say if you can't run 100 meters in 15 seconds right then a lion's gonna eat you so he's gonna <laughs> eat the guy that you know if you run it in 15 seconds the guy that runs it in 16 seconds we're not doing eaten. that test today are well, we well we don't do that today okay good i gotta <laughs> stretch you gotta, out you got, you, got a, you got a banged up calf but, <laughs> but 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 honestly what keeps you what keeps your capacity to do that? One is, you know, if you're overweight, you're going to have a hard time running 100 meters in 15 seconds. I use that number just arbitrarily, but the world record for 100 meters for 85-year-old men is 15 seconds. So I'm like, you know, if I can't beat an 85-year-old man, maybe I deserve to get eaten by the lion. But again, this is an analogy for just health in general. Um, but so, you know, if you're overweight, you're not going to be able to do it. So what's going to fix you being overweight? Diet, for sure. You know, training will impact it, but diet, definitely. If your joints are sore and achy and you can't do anything, you can't train because of that, what's going to impact that? In many cases, diet. So I think diet impacts joint health as well. And then it goes, then it goes into strength. You know, the, world, the, the world's best sprinters are strong son of a bitches. I mean, very strong. They're very strong guys. Uh, so you have to have enough strength to propel your body down the track at a certain speed. And then the final thing is training explosively because you got you know, you to be able to put that into motion. And so It's also just fun. What is? It's funny. I mean, you know, racing against sprints. As long as you don't pull a hamstring or something yeah, like that. Yeah, as you get older, if you haven't done it in a long time, uh, I would suggest, you know, for some people that are just starting out, maybe try a machine first, try to do a sprint on a bike or something yeah, like you that. Yeah, you can do it on that, that Synergy bike. Yeah, that, you're, not gonna yeah. Get, you're not likely to get hurt on that. I think those are excellent tools to, to right. move. You could perhaps uh, run hills because you're yep. going to move slower. And so yep. therefore, it's uh, probably a little less impact. You can push a sled or mm -hmm. push a truck or something like that. And you try to sprint into that, you're going to move a lot slower or so less likely to get Yeah, hurt. I mean, there's lots of ways. We can talk about ways to incorporate that stuff. But I think that's a very vital component of just, you know, not necessarily goals for sports performance, but just for general health. And I think there's a lot of applications of sports. You know, 
you know, like Matt Vincent's having a bit of a background in throwing, you learn mm-hmm. to appreciate how to move and accelerate things. And I think that carries over to health and it's something that- That's something you, know, that you do as well. You throw yeah, too, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not throwing now actively, but I did. Yeah. And so, but that but taught you take me. like med balls and yeah, throw yeah, them Yeah, I love throwing those things. I mean, medicine balls, and... my goal on a medicine ball is to break the damn thing. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's what I think they're for. You're you trying know, to throw it as high as you can or trying high, to slam it as hard as you can. As hard as you possibly can. It's not, it's not a, I don't use them as conditioning tools because there's, you know, that bike's a better conditioning tool. You sit there and throw med balls to get tired it's not very much you're kind of wasting your time use a med ball like you hate it you know right, like right. you want to break the damn thing and you just do a couple reps and that's that's how i incorporate that stuff into my training but that's a good way to do the upper body explosive you can jump you can do jumps for your lower right. body you can do different types of plyometric stuff box jumps and depth jumps and different sprints and, and you know change of direction and if you're stuff. not as comfortable with some of those things um you can try some boxing because you can get your upper body. You you start learning. How, it's going to take a little while to learn how to throw some punches, but uh, you know, move you know, move your hands around a little bit, throw some lefts and some rights, and do that for thirty seconds, and tell me how your wind is. Yeah, at that I, point. I, I boxed in college for a little bit. It's a little more friend. I mean, it can it can bother your joints and stuff too, but it's. Uh, I think just about anybody can do it. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, get a heavy bag. You know, that's fun. You know, right. that's nice stuff. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, that's another component to training. And I think I think we'll see an evolution towards that. I think, you know, even uh, a little bit with the CrossFit influencers doing a little, with the Olympic lifting, because it's kind of explosive. The problem with Olympic lifting is it's not that they're bad lifts, but they're very technical. And, you know, the, you know it takes you a long time to learn that skill. Mm. And you're not, you know, it takes you a long time to really get the benefit out of that. And then there's a higher potential for injury, you know, kind of catching a snatch or clean and jerk over, you know, right. racking the clean and jerks for some people beats them up. So that's why I like these medicine ball things or, or you know, high poles and stuff like that, just because I can get most of what I want to get out of those exercises with minimal risk for injury and uh, the skill levels. You know, throwing a medicine ball as high as you can from the ground is not a skillful activity. I mean, yeah. you, there's things you can do to make it better, right. but it doesn't take a great deal of, uh, you know, you know, just again, it's fun. Yeah, you it's know, fun. G- yeah. get a, get a training partner with yeah, you and just, contest, yeah, yeah, and try yeah. try it out yeah. and it'll be frustrating. You'll be like, Oh, I can't. Cause it, it's not just strength. There's other elements that are involved yeah, there. You, and learn it's, how to, you learn how to, you have to learn how to transfer that strength. You'll be pissed. You'll be like, why is this guy kicking my ass? And it's, sometimes people are going to catch you on some of these different, uh, some of these different movements. Yeah, sure. And absolutely. You know, like I said, that's one of the things I, I've come to appreciate with throwers. Cause when I started to learn how to shot put, I was like, well, you just take this big stone and you push it. Right. There is so much technical oh, skill that goes into that. Oh, and a shot it's put? amazing. Oh, it's crazy. It's, in, yeah. it's insane. It was awesome having you on the show today. Where can people find you? What do you got going on? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, 1967. See lots of meat on there. Lots of meat, lots of pictures. I, I, I kind of poke fun of vegans a little bit, but some people get mad. You know what I that. love? I love the uh, the images, like the memes that your fans are making. Yeah, I'm getting, it's, it's almost like what Rogan's guys are doing, but they're horrible. I mean, they're they're, they're horrible Photoshop. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> but the worse they are, the better. So I put a few of those up there. I got a bunch of them in the, in the holding tank. And then Twitter, S Baker MD. Yeah, look at this that one's thing. my Point favorite I like the ACDC one somebody did because I liked ACDC but uh, I asked There's, this girl I met with yesterday she goes who's ACDC I'm like are you kidding oh me? no said, isn't that sad is our gen- the people young of us don't even know who ACDC is give us a little rundown on some of the some of the uh, 
you know, some of the weight loss stories that you've heard. How, how much uh, weight uh, have people the, been kind of dropping seen, through some of this? The biggest guy I've seen lost 220 pounds. Wow. That's the biggest drop. Through doing the carnivore diet. Yeah, I've seen people lose about 130, 40 pounds just, uh, in, in about six months. This gal has lost about 30 pounds in 60 <laughs> wow. days. And so, Have you had anybody, you know, say, hey, man, I, you know, ended up in the hospital because I ate too much meat or anything weird, ha anything crazy happened? Not, no, not that I can remember. Not that anybody I've get seen. Anybody a piece no, of I'm, steak lodged in there? You know, not, but I almost, we almost had our first death when I was in Iceland. This guy, Ivor Alsford, who brought me to Iceland. We were out eating steak in a restaurant and he was talking and he swallowed a big piece <laughs> oh, of steak shit. and he started choking, like, literally choking, like real choking. And wow. I had to get up and just whack the hell out of him in his back. Because I couldn't, I couldn't do a Heimlich. I just whacked, I reached over and whacked him in the back. But I said, that you was saved our, that was a piece close. of meat, I hope. He got it. Yeah, I think he re-ate it. I okay, think good. So Regurgitated. It was a little pre-cheese. Right. Pre Who's a movie star that does that? There are some women that do that. Uh, like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. They their food right. for their like kids. Somebody crazy like Angelina Jolie yeah, or somebody, somebody like, like that, that was chewing, chewing it up. Chewing it up for the kids so the kids didn't have to chew it. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that's it. Uh, MeatHeals.com. Go check out some stories on there because there's some really inspiring stories of people doing this. You might have my cousin on there, right? He's got to write up some yeah, stuff Steve for you. Yeah, said he got, he's got to get down. I think he's about five pounds away from because mm. from, I think he'll have dropped 50 pounds. Wow. And that's since Jan mid-January. So we're only, what, early March now, right? You know, and, and people that are listening to this show, um, my cousin is just such a typical story of somebody that um, he played football in high school, um, always loved sports. He loves his kids. He's a really, really good father. Uh, he's there for them all the time. He plays sports with them. He's their coach. I mean, he's- yeah, His he's, daughter's like a beast football player. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. I see, yeah, I see yeah. it like knock some guy in his ass. Oh like my God, yeah. Awesome. It's been really, really fun watching her kick the crap out of people. And, and uh, his son plays lacrosse and sports are a big part of our, our family just in general. And uh, my cousin just kind of lost, he lost track of a lot of that. He was uh, somebody that was- uh, you know, putting in a lot of work hours for his family. He was trying to make money for his family and trying to uh, keep everybody safe, keep everybody secure, keep everybody happy. And he just lost sight of himself. He wasn't paying attention to himself. And uh, he had problems with his uh, food. He had problems with his sleep. He had, pro you know, this and that. And uh, ended up on a lot of medications, ended up uh, very, very overweight. And uh, he came out here to California uh, about a year or two ago. And, uh, I got him on a diet. He lost some weight. Um, then he kind of regained it cause he got, he, he fell, you know, he fell off a little bit, came back out. Dr. Baker was here, uh, last time he visited and, uh, they had breakfast together and he was bought in. He was like, I'm going to, you know, I need to make a change. I need to do it. And, uh, sure enough, here he is now, you know, almost 50 pounds later, just a, just a few months removed. And, uh, there's no, there's no magic going on. My cousin doesn't use steroids. He's not on thyroid medication. There's nothing, uh, nothing like that going on. He, he literally just has eaten meat. Uh, he found kind of his own way of doing it. Sometimes, uh, he'll do, uh, he goes to like the local deli and gets a roast beef here and there and, and does that. Um, you know, whatever way you got to get it done, figure out, figure out a way to get it done. But the bottom line is that when you lose weight, in most cases, uh, you're going to be healthier. And that's what we're seeing a lot from this carnivore diet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, and, and again, among the other health benefits, but it's been really cool to see because he texts me every once in a while, like, hey yeah. doc, I lost. And, he, and his dietitian's freaking out because she doesn't understand it because it doesn't, it doesn't compute with her formula. Wait a minute, you're eating yeah. meat and losing weight. You're supposed to get sick and fat and that's not happening. <laughs> liver enzymes are coming down and all right. these neat things that 
uh, I'm seeing all the time with other people. Or he's he's saying, been unhealthy for a long yeah. time. So this yeah. is really yeah. remarkable to see such a huge change. I'm really, I'm really happy for him. It's really cool. Yeah. And I think Chris, your brother's doing it too. And he's, yeah. he's doing good too. He's gotten leaner. Yeah. I see he's putting up his guns every once in a while. So yeah. He's showing, so that's neat too. I know he had a lot of issues with arthritis. So hopefully that's helping him out too. So Anyone who's listening to this podcast, I urge you just to just try it. Try it for, just try it for three days. Try to eat just red meat for three days. <laughs> Give it a shot. You'll be, you'll be totally, completely shocked. Uh, I guarantee you, if you're somebody that's already lifting and you're somebody that's, that's into training, you will notice that you will get leaner just in those three days. Really hard to do. I've actually only done it one day where I, <clears throat> where that's all I ate was meat. I didn't have any eggs or bacon or anything else. Um, but if you could do it for three days, I guarantee you're going to notice a big difference. Strength is never a weakness. Weakness is never a strength. Thank you guys for tuning into the live feed. We're going to do all of these from now on as live as we can make them. Catch you guys later. All right. Nice. Good Thank stuff, you man. so much, hey, man. That was fun. Yeah, that was good, great. Good.